Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and In these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both myentworld, my ENT world. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recordings. You can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast we have so much content happening right now um but you're here for corona cold reads for shakespeare um so these are cold reads for the most part uh, our actors did not have more than a day maybe two if they're lucky um to look over the text if they wanted to most of them didn't have the chance to so it is just them sitting down and reading it cold um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. Next up, we have All's Well That Ends Well. Um, so this is not one of Shakespeare's Uh, most famous, well, it's not one of his most famous, it's definitely not one of his most highly regarded plays. Um, A lot of people have a lot of problems with All's Well That Ends Well. It certainly has not aged particularly well um, when we're dealing with issues of just modern relationships and our current understanding of consent and all of those sort of uh, you know, perspective comes with age and this is a very flawed play. Um, It is one Interestingly, it is not really lumped in with those other what are considered problem plays, um, ones that were maybe potentially once comedies but are now treated more as tragedies, something like A Merchant of Venice um, that has very obvious, very specific things for directors to tackle and maybe reinterpret um, with a new, more contemporary lens. All's Well is generally still considered a comedy, um, but it is is just kind of considered a flawed comedy that's not that good and not very many many people do it um that i think is maybe a simplistic view it is 
I think all of the plays and certainly ones like All's Well where the it's got some problems but it's not stupid. I think those are still worth examining and maybe worth adapting or interpreting. Um, there's a very interesting episode of our Shakespeare series podcast that's all about All's Well That Ends Well. It's a discussion I had with Ted Witzel who had directed this play for Canadian Stage a few summers ago. And Ted's always got a really um, avant-garde view of things, and he's always trying to tear things off of their pedestals and see them from a new direction. And so All's Well is a perfect script for him because he really deconstructed it and found out what was at the heart of it and mined it for new material and new interpretation. And I think that's a really valuable thing to do with a play like this that has a lot of complexity to it. It has a lot of depth. It has a lot of really interesting characters. And when you really try and drill in on those their motivations, um, if you look at, look at it with an interpretive eye and a skeptical eye um, and you sort of find yourself able to grapple with, okay, this character who is, you know, theoretically a heroine has done something that maybe centuries ago we didn't necessarily understand to be as horrific a thing as it is. Um, but now with our modern understanding, we understand that she's done a terrible thing, but she is framed as the heroine of the piece. Okay. How do we reconcile that? Is that something we can, can we hold both of those ideas in our head at once? And I think that is the challenge of all's well that ends well is can you hold all of these contradictory things in one space? And I think you can if you approach it with creativity and an open mind. Um, it's a really complicated play. It's a weird play. Um, it's very difficult to follow. I highly recommend giving it a quick Wikipedia um, before you start. Or actually, you know, just go check out our Shakespeare series. Um, you can Google it. It's in the iTunes store. Um, you can check it out, search on our on our actual website itself, and you can listen in the browser if you want. Um, Shakespeare series, All So Well That Ends Well with Ted Witzel is what the title of the episode is, and it's really informative um, going into this reading, which, if you go in totally cold, might be a little confusing. Um, one other thing I have to tell you about how confusing this reading might be is that we have two people playing the king. Um, so in Act 1, the king is played by Weldon Gorian, and then in Acts 2 and 5, it's Christopher Prentice. Those are the only acts he appears in. Um, so just keep in mind that the King's voice is going to change. Um, but other than that, it's fairly straightforward. Um, this is actually one of the very few plays where we have nobody doubling. So everybody is only playing one character. Um, so, you know, Miriam Bachman appears as second soldier and that is it. Um, so our Elizabeth Ramirez, I believe had one line as fourth Lord. So this is a, a cast in the sort of truest one character, one role type except that the king is played by two different people um some of the highlights in the cast is we have nicanor campos as parolis who's one of the most interesting characters he's really complicated and interesting and can be interpreted many different ways um and then we have uh the great shaylin mcfall who is one of our favorite leading ladies she's taking on helena who's a very very difficult uh, role among the uh, the comedic heroines. She's sort of up there with Viola and Rosalind and Imogen in, the, in terms of how much control she has over her own story, um, which is just more than the rest of the women in the canon. 
Um, but she's, she's tricky. She's not as, as simplistic a heroine or a, not simplistic, as simple of a heroine as those other people are. So she's, she's interesting. Um, one of our lovely leading men, Mo Kamali is playing Bertram and Carmen Grant comes back as the countess, which is always delightful to have one of our Stratford favorites in. And she is just such a wonderful presence as the countess. Um, so I hope you enjoy our reading. Uh, this one was a lot of fun and I think that, Really giving All's Well That Ends Well some consideration is definitely a worthwhile endeavor. So I hope you do that. In delivering my son from me, I bury a second husband. And I, in going, madam, weep over my father's death anew. But I must attend his majesty's command, to whom I am now in ward evermore in subjection. You shall find of the king a husband, madam, you, sir, a father. He that so generally is at all times good must of necessity hold his virtue to you, whose worthiness would stir it up where it would want it rather than lack it where there is such abundance. What hope is there of his majesty's amendment? He hath abandoned his physicians, madam, under whose practice he hath persecuted time with hope and finds no other advantage in the process but only the losing of hope by time. This young gentlewoman had a father. Oh, that had, how sad a passage tis, whose skill was almost as great as his honesty. Had it stretched so far, would have made nature immortal, and death should have play for lack of work. Would, for the king's sake, he were living. I think it would be the death of the king's disease. How called you the man you speak of, madam? He was famous, sir, in his profession, and it was his great right to be so. Gerard de Narbonne. He was excellent indeed, madam. The king very lately spoke of him admiringly and mourningly. He was skillful enough to have lived still if knowledge could be set up against mortality. Uh, what is it, my good lord, the king languishes of? A fistula, my lord. Hmm. I heard not of it before. I would it were not notorious. Was this gentlewoman the daughter of Gerard de Narbonne? His sole child, my lord, and bequeathed to my overlooking. I have those hopes of her good that her education promises. Her dispositions she inherits, which makes fair gifts fairer. For where an uncleaned mind carries virtuous qualities, their commendations go with pity. They are virtues and traitors too. In her they are the better for their simpleness. She derives her honesty and achieves her goodness. Commendations, madam, kept from her tears. Tis the best brine a maiden can season her praise in. The remembrance of her father never approaches her heart, but the tyranny of her sorrows takes all livelihood from her cheek. No more of this, Helena. Go to, no more. Lest it be rather thought you affect a sorrow than to have it. You affect a sorrow indeed, but I have it too. Moderate lamentation is the right of the dead, excessive grief the enemy to the living. If the living be enemy to the grief, the excess makes it soon mortal. Madam, I desire your holy wishes. How understand we that? Be thou blessed, Bertram, and succeed thy father in manners as in shape. Thy blood and virtue contend for empire in thee, and thy goodness share with thy birthright. Love all, trust a few, do wrong to none. Be able for thine enemy rather in power than use, and keep thy friend under thine own life's key. 
be checked for silence, but never taxed for speech. What heaven, will, what heaven more will, that thee may furnish, and my prayers pluck down, fall on thy head. Farewell, my lord. Tis an unseasoned courtier, good my lord, advise him. He cannot want the best that shall attend his love. Heaven bless him. Farewell, Bertram. Exit. <clears throat> well, uh, the best wishes that can be forged in your thoughts be servants to you. Be comfortable to my mother, your mistress, and make much of her. Farewell, pretty lady. You must hold the credit of your father. Exit Bert Bertram and the fifth. Oh, were that all? I think not on my father. And these great tears grace his remembrance more than those I shed for him. What was he like? I have forgot him. My imagination carries no favor in it but Bertram's. I am undone. There's no living. None. If Bertram be away, t'were all one that I should love a bright particular star and think to wed it. He is so above me. In his bright radiance and collateral light must I be comforted, not in the, his sphere. The ambition in my love thus plagues itself. The hind that would be mated by the lion must die for love. T'was pretty though plague to see him every hour, to sit and draw his arched brows, his hawking eyes, his curls in our heart's table heart too capable of every line and trick of his sweet favor. But now he's gone, and my adulterous fancy must sanctify his reliquies. Who comes here? Mr. Parolis. One that goes with him. I love him for his sake, and yet I know him notorious liar, think him a great way fool, solely a coward. Yet these fixed evils sit so fit in him that they take place when virtue's steely bones look bleak in the cold wind. Withal, full of, we see, cold wisdom waiting on superfluous folly. Save you, fair queen! And you, monarch. Now. And now. Are you meditating? On virginity? Aye. You have some stain of soldier in you. Let me ask you a question. Man is enemy to virginity. How may we barricado it against him? Keep him out. But he assails. And our virginity, though valiant in the defense, yet is weak. Unfold to us some warlike resistance. There's none. Man sitting down before you will undermine you and blow you up. Bless our poor virginity from underminers and blowers up. <laughs> no military policy? How virgins may blow up men? Virginity being blown down, men will, being blown down, men will quicklier be blown up. Mary, in blowing him down again with the breach, or, with the breach yourselves made, you lose your city. It is not politic in the Commonwealth of Nature to preserve virginity. Loss of virginity is rational increase, and there was never virgin got till 
virginity was first lost. That you were made of is metal to make virgins. Virginity, by being once lost, may be ten times found. Uh, by being ever kept, it is ever lost. Tis too cold a companion. Away with it. I will stand for it a little, though therefore I die a virgin. Uh, there's little can be said in it. Tis against the rule of nature. To speak on the part of virginity is to accuse your mothers, which is most infallible disobedience. He that hangs himself is a virgin. Virginity murders itself and should be buried in highways out of all sanctified limit as a desperate offendress against nature. Virginity breeds mites, much like a cheese consumes itself to the very pairing, and so dies with feeding his own stomach. Besides, virginity is peevish, proud, idle, made of self-love, which is the most inhibited sin in the canon. To keep it not, you cannot choose but lose by it. Out with it. Within ten years it will make itself ten, which is a goodly increase. And the principle itself not much the worse. Away with it. How might one do, sir, to lose it to her own liking? Uh, let me see. Marry ill to like him that ne'er it likes. Tis a commodity will lose the gloss with lying. Lying. Uh, the longer kept, the less worth. Off with it while tis vendable. Answer the time of request. Virginity, like an old courtier, wears her cap out of fashion. Richly suited, but unsuitable. Just like the brooch and the toothpick, which wear not now. Your date is better in your date is better in your pie and your porridge than in your cheek. And your virginity, your old virginity is like one of our french withered pears it looks ill it eats dryly mary it is a withered pear it was formerly better mary yet is a withered pear will you anything with it not my virginity yet there shall your master have a thousand loves a mother and a mistress and a friend, a phoenix, captain and an enemy, a guide, a goddess, and a sovereign, a counselor, a traitress, and a deer. His humble ambition, proud humility, his jarring concord, and his discord dulcet, his faith, his sweet disaster with a world of pretty, fond, adoptious Christendoms that blinking Cupid gossips. Ooh. How shall he? I know not what he shall. God send him well. The court's a learning place, and he is one. What one, if faith? That I wish well. Tis pity. What's pity? That wishing well had not a body in it which might be felt. That we, the poor born, whose baser starts, do shut us up in wishes might with effects of them follow our friends and show what we alone must think, which never return us thanks. 
Oh. Enter page. Monsieur Paroles, my lord calls for you. Exit. Helen, farewell. If I can remember thee, I will think of thee at courts. Monsieur Paroles, you were born under a charitable star. Under Mars, I. I especially think under Mars. Why under Mars? The wars have so kept you under that you must needs be born under Mars. When he was predominant. <laughs> he was retrograde, I think, rather. Well, I think you so. You go so much backward when you fight. That's for advantage. A soul is running away when fear proposes the safety, but the composition that your valor and fear makes in you is a virtue of good wing, and I like the wear well. I am so full of business. Um, I cannot answer thee acutely. I will return perfect courtier in the which my instructions shall serve to naturalize thee. So thou wilt be capable of a courtier's counsel and understand that advice shall thrust upon thee. Else thou diest in thine unthankfulness and thine ignorance makes thee away. Farewell. When thou hast leisure, say thy prayers. When thou hast none, remember thy friends. Get thee a good husband and use him as he uses thee. So farewell. Exit. Our remedies oft in ourselves do lie, which we ascribe to heaven. The fated sky gives us free scope, only doth backward pull our slow designs when we ourselves are dull. What power is it which mounts my love so high that makes me see and cannot feed mine eye? The mightiest space in fortune nature brings to join like likes and kiss like native things. Impossible be strange attempts to those that weigh their pains and sense and do suppose what hath been cannot be. Whoever strove so show her merit that did miss her love. The king's disease. My project may deceive me, but my intents are fixed and will not leave me. Exit. Scene two, Paris, the king's palace. Flourish of coronets. Enter king of France with letters and divers attendants. Uh, the Florentines and Sonois are by the ears, have fought with equal fortune, and continue a braving war. So it is reported, sir. Hey. Nay, uh, hey, tis most credible. We here received it, a certainty vouched from our cousin Austria, uh, with caution that the Florentine will move us for speedy aid, wherein our dearest friend prejudicates the business and would seem to have us make denial. His love and wisdom approved so to your majesty may plead for amplest credence. <coughs> he hath armed our answer. And Florence is denied before he comes. Yet, for our gentlemen that mean to see the Tuscan service, freely have they leave to stand on either part. May well serve a nursery to our gentry, who are sick for breathing in us, please. 
What he comes here? Enter Bertram, Lefeu, and Perales. It is the Count Rousselot, my, go- my good lord, young Bertram. <laughs> Youth, <coughs> thou bearest thy father's face. Frank nature, rather curious than in haste, hath well composed thee. Thy father's moral parts mayst thou inherit too. Welcome to Paris. My thanks and duty are your majesties. Oh, I would. I had that corporal soundness now as when thy father and myself in friendship first tried our soldiership. He did look far into the service of the time and was discipled of the bravest. He lasted long. But on us both did haggish age steal on and wore us out of act. It much repairs me to talk of your good father. In his youth, he had the wit which I can well observe today in our young lords, but they may jest till their own scorn return to them unnoted ere they can hide their levity in honor. So, like a courtier, contempt nor bitterness were in his pride or sharpness. If they were, his equal had awaked them, and his honor, clocked to itself, knew the true minute when exception bid him speak. At this time, his tongue obeyed his hand. Who were below him he used as creatures of another place and bowed his eminent top to their low ranks, making them proud of his humility. (laughs) In their poor praise, he humbled. Such a man might be a copy to these younger times, which followed well would demonstrate them now, but goers backward. His good remembrance, sir, lies richer in your thoughts than on his tomb. So in a proof lives not his epitaph as in your royal speech. Oh, would I were with him. He would always say, methinks I hear him now, his plausive words. He scattered not in ears, but grafted them to grow there and to bear. Let me not live. This, his good melancholy off began on the catastrophe and heel of pastime. When it was out, let me not live, quoth he, after my flame lacks oil, to be the snuff of younger spirits whose apprehensive senses all but new things disdain, whose judgments are mere fathers of their garments, whose constancies expire before their fashions. This he wished. I after him do after him wish too, since I nor wax nor honey can bring home. I quickly were dissolved from my hive to give some laborers room. You are loved, sir. They that least lend it you shall lack you first. I fill the place, I know it. How long has it count since the physician at your father's died? He was much famed. Some six months since, my lord. If he were living, I would try him yet. Lend... Lend me an arm. The rest have worn me out with several applications. Nature and sickness debated at their leisure. Welcome, Count. My, my son's no dearer. Thank your Majesty. Exent flourish. Scene three, Roussillon, the Count's palace. Enter Countess, Stuart, and Clown. I will now hear. What say you of this gentleman? What gentlewoman? Madam. The care I have had to even your content, I wish might be found in the calendar of my past endeavors, for then we wound our modesty and make fool of the clearness of our deservings when of ourselves we publish them. 
What does this knave here? Get you gone, sirrah. The complaints I have heard of you do not all I do not all believe. Tis my slowness that I do not. For I know you lack not folly to commit them and have ability enough to make such knaveries yours. Tis not unknown to you, madam. I am a poor fellow. Well, sir. No, madam, tis not so well that I am poor, though many of the rich are damned. <laughs> but if I may have your ladyship's goodwill to go the world, Isabel the woman, and I will do as we may. Wilt thou needs be a beggar? I do beg your goodwill in this case. In what case? In Isabel's case and mine own. Service is no heritage, and I think I shall never have the blessing of God till I have issue of oh my body. For they say barons are blessings. Tell me thy reason why thou wilt marry. My poor body, madam, requires it. I am driven on by the flesh, and he must needs go that the devil drives. Is this all your worship's reason? Faith, madam, I have other holy reasons, such as they are. May the world know them? I have been, madam, a wicked creature, as you and all flesh and blood are, and indeed, I do marry that I may repent. <laughs> thy marriage, sooner than thy wickedness. I am out of friends, madam, and I hope to have friends for my wife's sake. Such friends are thine enemies, knave. Your shallow, madam, in great friends, for the knaves come to do that for me, which I am aweary of. He that, he that ears my lance spares my team and gives me leave to, in the crop. If I be his cuckold, he is my drudge. He that comforts my wife is the cherisher of my flesh and blood. He that cherishes my flesh and blood loves my flesh and blood. He that loves my flesh and blood is my friend, ergo. He that kisses my wife is my friend. <laughs> if men could be contented to be what they are, there were no fear in marriage. For young Charbon the Puritan and old Poison the Papist, however some their hearts are served in religion, their heads are both one. They may jowl horns together like any deer of the herd. Wilt thou ever be a foul-mouthed and calumnious knave? <laughs> a prophet I, madam. And I speak truth the next way. For in the ballad I will repeat, which men full true shall find, your marriage comes by destiny, so your cuckoo sings by kind. Get you gone, sir. I'll talk with you more anon. May it please you, madam. Uh, that he bid Helen come to you, of her I am to speak. Sarah, tell my gentlewoman I would speak with her. Helen, I mean. Was this the fair face that caused, she quoth, why the Grecian sectroy? Fawn done, done fawn, was this King Priam's joy? With that she sighed as she stood, with that she sighed, as she stood and gave this sentence then among nine bad if one be good a man my nine bad if one be good there's yet one good in ten what one good in ten you corrupt the song sirrah 
One good woman in ten, madam, which is a purifying song. Would God would serve the world so all the year. Would find no fault with the thighed woman if I were the parson. One in ten, quotha, <laughs> and we might have a good woman born, but one every blazing star, or at an earthquake, twould mend the lottery well. A man may draw his heart out ere a pluck one. You'll be gone, Sir Knave, and do as I command you. <laughs> that man should be a woman's command, and yet no hurt done. Though honesty be no Puritan, yet it will do no hurt. I will wear the surplice of humility, go over the black gown of a big heart. I am going, forsooth. The business is for Helen to come thither. Exit. Well now. I know, madam, you love your gentlewoman entirely. Faith, I do. Her father bequeathed her to me, and she herself, without other advantage, may lawfully take title to as much love as she finds. There is more owing her than is paid, and more shall be paid, and more shall be paid her than she'll demand. Now, madam, I was very late more near her than I think she wished me. Uh, alone she was, and did communicate to herself her own words to her own ears, she thought. I dare vow for her, they touched not any stranger sense. Her matter was, she loved your son. Fortune, she said, was no goddess that had put such difference betwixt their two estates. Love no god that would not extend his might, only where qualities were level. Now, Diana, no queen of virgins, that would suffer her poor knight surprised, without rescue in the first assault or ransom afterward. This she delivered in the most bitter touch of sorrow that ever I heard virgin exclaim in, which I held my duty speedily to acquaint you withal. Sithens, in the loss that may happen, it concerns you something to know of it. You have discharged this honestly. Keep it to yourself. Many likelihoods informed me of this before, which hung so tottering in the balance that I could neither believe nor misdoubt. Pray you leave me. Stall this in your bosom. And I thank you for your honest care. I will speak with you further anon. Exit steward, enter Helena. Even so it was with me when I was young. If ever we are natures, these are ours. This thorn doth to our rose of youth rightly belong. Our blood to us, this to our blood is born. It is the show and seal of nature's truth, where love's strong passion is impressed in youth. By our remembrances of days foregone, such were our faults, and then we thought them none. Her eye is sick on it. I observe her now. What is your pleasure, madam? You know, Helen, I am a mother to you. Mine honorable mistress. Nay, a mother. Why not a mother? When I said a mother, methought you saw a serpent. What's in mother that you start at it? I say, I am your mother. 
and put you in the catalog of those that were in wound mine. Tis often seen adoption strives with nature and choice breeds a native slip to us from foreign seeds. You ne'er oppressed me with a mother's groan, yet I express to you a mother's care. God's mercy, maiden, does it curd thy blood to say I am thy mother? Oh, what's the matter? That this distempered messenger of wet, the many-colored iris rounds thine eye. Why, that you are my daughter? That I am not. I say I am your mother. Pardon, madam. The Count Rusinjan cannot be my brother. I, I am not humble. He from honored name, no note upon my parents, his all noble. My master, my dear lord, he is, and I, his servant, live. And will his vassal die? He must not be my brother. Nor I your mother. You are my mother, madam. Would you were, so that my lord, your son, were not my brother. Indeed, my mother, or were you both our mothers? I could, I care no more for than I do for heaven, for so I were not his sister. Can't no other, but I, I your daughter, he must be my brother? Yes, Helen. You might be my daughter-in-law. God shield, you mean it not. Daughter and mother so strive upon your pulse. What, pale again? My fear hath catched your fondness. Now I see the mystery of your loneliness and find your salt tears head. Now to all sense tis gross. You love my son. Invention is ashamed against the proclamation of thy passion to say thou dost not. Therefore tell me true, but tell me then tis so. For, look, thy cheeks confess it, the one to the other, and thine eyes see it so grossly shown in thy behaviors that in their kind they speak it. Only sin and hellish obstinacy tie thy tongue, that truth should be suspected. Speak, tis so. If it be so, you have wound a goodly clue, for it be not forswear't. Howe'er I charge thee, as heaven shall work in me for thine avail, tell me truly. Good madam, pardon me. Do you love my son? Pardon, noble mistress. Love you, my son. Not you love him, madam? Go not about. My love hath int a bond, whereof the world takes note. Come, come, disclose the state of your affection, for your passions have to the full appeached. Confess, you're on my knee before heaven, high heaven, and you. But before you and next unto high heaven, I love your son. My friends were poor, but honest, so's my love. Be not offended, for it hurts not him that he is loved of me. I follow him not by any token of presumptuous suit, nor would I have him till I do deserve him. Yet never know how that dessert should be. I know I love in vain, drive against hope. Yet in this 
captious and intenable sieve, I still pour in the waters of my love and lack not to lose still. That's Indian-like religious in mine error. I adore the sun that looks upon his worshiper but knows of him no more. My dearest madam, let not your hate encounter with my love for loving where you do. But if yourself, whose aged honor cites a virtuous youth, did ever in so true a flame of liking wish it chastely and love dearly that your Diane was both herself and love, oh, then give pity to her whose state is such that cannot choose but lend and give where she is sure to lose. That seek not to find that which her search implies, but riddle-like lives sweetly where she dies. Had you not lately an intent, speak truly, to go to Paris? Madam, I had. Wherefore? Tell me. I will tell truth. By grace itself, I swear, you know my father left me some prescriptions of rare and proved effects, such as his reading and manifest experienced had collected for general sovereignty, and that he willed me in heedfullest reservation to bestow them as notes whose faculties inclusive were more than they were in note amongst the rest. There's a remedy approved, set down to cure the desperate languishings whereof the king is rendered lost. This was your motive for Paris, was it? Speak. My lord, your son made me to think of this. Else Paris and the medicine and the king had from the conversation of my thoughts happily been absent then. But thank you, Helen. If you should tender your supposed aid, would he receive it? He and his physicians are of a mind. He that they cannot help him. They that they cannot help. How shall they credit a poor, unlearned virgin when the schools, emboweled of their doctrine, have left off the danger to itself? There's something in it, more than my father's skill, which was the greatest of his profession, that his good receipt shall for my legacy be sanctified by the luckiest stars in heaven. And would your honor but give me leave to try success? I'll venture the well-lost life of mine on his grace's cure by such a day and hour. Dost thou believe it? Aye, madam, knowingly. Why, Helen, thou shalt have my leave and love, means and attendance and my loving greetings to those of mine in court. I'll stay at home and pray God's blessings into thy attempt. Be gone tomorrow. And be sure of this, what I can help thee to, thou shalt not miss. Exit. Scene, act two, scene one, Paris, the king's palace. Flourish of cornets, enter the king, attended with divers, young lords taking leave for the Florentine war, Bertram and Parolis. Farewell, young lords. These warlike principles do not throw from you. And you, my lords, Farewell. Shall the advice betwixt you, if both gain, all the gift doth stretch itself as tis received, and is enough for both. Tis our hope, sir, after well-entered soldiers to return and find your grace in health. No, no, it cannot be. And yet my heart will not confess he owes the malady that doth my life besiege. Farewell, young lords. 
whether I live or die, be you the sons of worthy Frenchmen. Let hire Italy, those baited that inherit but the fall of the last monarchy, see that you come not to woo honor, but to wed it. When the bravest questant shrinks, find what you seek, that fame may cry you loud. I say farewell. Health, at your bidding, serve your majesty. <clears throat> those girls of Italy, take heed of them. They say our French language to deny lacks if they demand. Beware of being captives before you serve. Our hearts receive, our your, hearts warnings. receive your warnings. Farewell. <clears throat> Come hither to me. Exit attended. Oh, my sweet lord, that you will stay behind us. Uh, <clears throat> tis not his fault, the spark. <laughs> oh, tis brave wars. Most admirable. I have seen those wars. Mm -hmm. I am commanded here and kept a coil with too young and the next year and tis too early. <clears throat> and they might, and thy mind stand to it, boy. Steal away bravely. I shall stay here, the four-horse to a smock, creaking my shoes on the plain masonry till honor be brought up and no sword worn but one to dance with. By heaven, I'll steal away. There's honor in the theft. Commit it, Count. <laughs> I am your accessory. And so, farewell. I grow to you, and our parting is a tortured body. Farewell, Captain. Sweet Monsieur Parolles. Noble heroes, my sword and yours are kin. Good sparks and lustrous, a word, good medals. You shall find in the regiment of the spinny eye one Captain Spurio, with his cicatrice, an emblem of war, here on his sinister cheek. It was this very sword entrenched it. Say to him, I live and observe his reports for me. We shall, noble captain. Yeah. Zoot lords. Mars dote on you for his novices. What will you do? <laughs> I stay, the king. Re-enter King Bertram and Perula's retire. Use a more spacious ceremony to the noble lords. You have restrained yourself within the list of too cold and adieu. Be more expressive to them, for they wear themselves in the cap of the time. There do muster true gates, eat, speak, and move under the influence of the most received star. And though the devil lead the measure, such are to be followed. After them, and take a more dilated farewell. And... I, I will do so. Worthy fellows, and like to prove most sinewy sword men. <laughs> Bertram and Faroles, enter Lefeu. Pardon, my lord, for me and my tidings. I'll fee thee to stand up. And here's a man stands that has brought his pardon. I would you have kneeled, my lord, to ask me mercy, and that at my bidding you could so stand up. I would I had, so I had broke thy pate and ask thee mercy for it. Good faith across. But my good lord, tis thus. 
will you be cured of your infirmity? No. Will you eat no grapes, my royal fox? Yes, but you will, my noble grapes. And if my royal fox could reach them, I have seen a medicine that's able to breathe life into a stone, quicken a rock, and make you dance canary with sprightly fire and motion, whose simple touch is powerful to arise King Pepin, nay, to give great Charlemagne a pen in hands and write to her a love line. What her is this? By Dr. She. My lord, there's one arrived, if you will see her. Now by my faith and honor, I, if seriously I may convey my thoughts in this my light deliverance, I have spoke with one that in her sex, her years, profession, wisdom, and constancy hath amazed me more than I dare blame my weakness. Will you see her? For that is her demand, and know her business? That done laugh well at me. Now, good Lafeu, bring in the admiration that we with thee may spend our wonder too, or take off thine by wondering how thou tookst. Nay, I'll fit you, and not be all day neither. Exit. Thus he his special nothing ever prologues. Re-enter Lafeu with Helena. Nay, come your ways. This haste hath wings indeed. Nay, come your ways. This is his majesty. Say your mind to him. A traitor you do look like, but such traitors his majesty seldom fears. I am Cressid's uncle that dare leave two together. Fare you well. Exit. Now, fair one, does your business follow us? I, my good lord. Gerard de Naubon was my father in what he did profess well found. I knew him. The rather will I spare my praises toward him, knowing him is enough on bed of death. Many receipts he gave me, chiefly one, which as the dearest issue of his practice and of his old experience, the oily darling, he bade me store up as a triple eye, safer than mine own two, more dear. I have so, and hearing, your high majesty is touched with that malignant cause wherein the honor of my dear father's gift stands chief in power. I come to tender it and my appliance with all bound humbleness. We <clears throat> thank you, madam, but may not be so credulous of cure. When our most learned doctors leave us and the congregated college have concluded that laboring art can never ransom nature from her inaidable estate, I say we must not so stain our judgment or corrupt our hope to prostitute our past cure malady to empirics or to dissever so our great self and our credit to esteem a senseless help when help past sense we deem. My duty then shall pay me for my pains. I will no more enforce mine office on you humbly entreating from your royal thoughts a modest one to bear me back again. I cannot give thee less to be called grateful. Thou thoughtst to help me, and such thanks I give as one near death to those that wish him live. But what at fool I know, thou knowst no part, I knowing all my peril, thou no art. What I can do can do no hurt to try, since you set up your rest gainst remedy. 
He that of greatest works is finisher, oft does them by the weakest minister. So holy written babes hath judgment shown when judges have been babes. Great floods have flown from simple sources, and great seas have died when miracles have by the greatest been denied. Oft expectations fails, and most oft there where most is promises. And oft it hits where hope is coldest and despair most fits. It must, I must not hear thee. Fare thee well, kind maid. Thy pains not used must by thyself be paid. Proffers not took reap thanks for their reward. Inspired merit, so by breath is barred. It is not so with him that all things knows, and tis with us that square our guests by shows. But most it is presumption in us when the help of heaven we count the act of men. Dear sir, to my endeavors give consent. Of heaven, not me, make an experiment. I am not an impostor that proclaim myself against the level of mine aim, but no, I think, and think I know most sure, my art is not past power nor past cure. Are you so confident? Within what space hopes thou my cure? The greatest grace lending grace, ere twice the horses of the sun shall bring their fiery torture his diurnal ring, ere twice in murk and occidental damp moist Hesperus hath quenched his sleepy lamp, or four or and twenty times the pilot's glass hath told the thievish minutes how they pass. What is infirm from your sound parts shall fly, health shall live free, and sickness freely die. Upon thy certainty and confidence, what darest thou venture? Tax of impudence, a strumpet's boldness, a divulged shame, traduced by odious ballads, my maiden's name seared otherwise, nay, worse, if worse, extended with vilest torture, let my life be ended. Methinks in thee some blessed spirit doth speak his powerful sound within an organ weak. And what impossibility would slay in common sense, sense saves another way. Thy life is dear, for all that life can rate worth name of life, and thee hath estimate youth, beauty, wisdom, courage, all that happiness and prime can happy call. Thou this hazard needs must intimate skill infinite or monstrous desperate. Sweet practiser, thy physic I will try, that ministers thine own death if I die. If I break time or flinch in property of what I spoke, unpitied let me die, and well deserve it, not helping death's my fee. But if I help, what do you promise me? Make thy demand. But you will make it even? I, by my scepter and my hopes of heaven. Then shalt thou give me what, uh, with thy kingly hand, what husband in thine power I will command. Exempted be from me the arrogance to choose from forth the royal blood of France, my low and humble name to propagate with any branch or image of thy state. But such a one, thy vassal, whom I know is free for me to ask, thee to bestow. Here's my hand. The premises observed, thy will by my performance shall be served. 
So make the choice of thine own time, for I, thy resolved patient, on thee still rely. More should I question thee, and more I must, though more to know could not be more to trust from whence thou camest, how tended on, but rest unquestioned, welcome and undoubted, blessed. Give me some help here, oh. If thou proceed as high as word, my deed shall match thy meed. Flourish, exit, scene two, Roussillon, the Count's palace, enter Countess and Clown. Come on, sir. I shall now put you to the height of your breeding. I will show myself highly fed and lowly taught. I know my business is but to the court. To the court? What place make you special when you put off that with such contempt but to the court? Truly, madam, if God have lent me a man any manners, he may easily put it off at court. He that cannot make a leg put off's cap, kiss his hand and say nothing, has neither leg, hands, lip, nor cap, and indeed such a fellow to say precisely were not for the court. But for me, I will have an answer, serve all men. Mary, that's a bountiful answer that fits all questions. It's like a barber's chair that fits all buttocks. The pin buttock, the squat buttock, the brawny buttock, or any buttock. Will your answer, sir, fit to all questions? As fit as ten groats is for the hand of an attorney, as your French crown for your taffeta punk, as Tim's rush for Tom's forefinger, as a pancake for Shrove Tuesday, as a Morris for Mayday, as the nail to his hole, as the cuckold to his horn, as a scolding queen to a wrangling knave, as the nun's lip to the friar's mouth. Nay, nay, as the puddings to his skin. Have you, I say, an answer of such fitness for all questions? From below your duke to beneath your constable, it will fit any question. It must be an answer of most monstrous size that must fit all demands. But a trifle neither in good faith. If the learned should speak truth of it, here it is, and all that belongs to it. Ask me if I am a courtier. It shall do you no harm to learn. To be young again, if we could. I will be a fool in question, hoping to be the wiser by your answer. I pray you, sir, are you a courtier? Oh, Lord, sir. There's a simple putting off. More, more, a hundred more. <laughs> sir, I am a poor friend of yours that loves you. Oh, Lord, sir. Thick, thick, spare me not. I think, sir, you can eat none of this homely meat. Oh, Lord, sir. Nay, punch me, I warrant you. If you were lately whipped, sir, as I think. Oh, Lord, sir, spare me not. Do you cry, oh, Lord, sir, at your wimping and spare me not? 
Indeed, your O oh Lord, sir, is very sequent to your whipping. You would not answer very well to a whipping if you were but bound to it. I ne'er had worse luck in my life in my O oh Lord, sir. I see may serve long, but not serve ever. I play the noble housewife with the time to entertain so merrily with a fool. Oh, Lord, sir. Why, there's twelve serves again. <laughs> An end, sir, to your business. Give Helen this and urge her to a present answer back. Commend me to my kinsman and my son. This is not much. Not much commendation to them. Not much employment for you. You understand me? Most fruitfully, I am there before my legs. I'll haste you again. Present separately. Scene three, Paris, the King's Palace. Enter Bertram, Lefou, and Parolles. They say miracles are past, and we have our philosophical persons to make modern and familiar things supernatural and causeless. Hence is it that we make trifles of terrors, ensconcing ourselves into seeming knowledge when we should submit ourselves to an unknown fear. Is Perella's asleep? Oh. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> Where are we? Uh, act two, scene three. Mm, act two, scene <laughs> three. Hello. So Hello. Fabulous. Uh, so are we, are we taking it from Parolis' line? Yep. Okay. Why? <laughs> Tis the rarest argument of wonder that has shot out in our latter times. And so it is. To be relinquished of the artists. So I say. Both of Galen and Paracelsus. So I say. Of all the learned and authentic fellows. Right. So I say. Gave him out incurable. Why, there it is. So say I too. Not to be helped. Right. As twere, a man assured of a... Certain life and sure death. Dust, you say well. So what I have said. I may truly say it is a novelty to the world. It is indeed. If you will have it in showing, you shall read it in... What do you call there? A showing of a heavenly effect in an earthly actor. That's it. I would have said the very same. Why, your dolphin is not lustier for me. I speak in respect... Nay, tis strange, tis very strange. That is the brief and the tedious of it. And he's of a most fascinerious spirit that will not acknowledge it to be the... Very hand of heaven. I so I say. In a most weak and devile minister, great power, great transcendence, which should indeed give us a further use to be made than alone the recovery of the king as to be generally thankful. I would have said it. You say well. Here comes the king. Enter king, Helena, and attendants, Lafieu, and Paroles retire. Lustig, as the Dutchman says, I'll like a maid the better, whilst I have a tooth in my head, 
but he's able to lead her a Coranto. Mort du Vinagre, is not this Helen? For God, I think so. Go, call before me all the lords in court. Sit, my preserver, by thy patience side. And with this healthful hand, whose banished sense thou hast repealed, a second time receive the confirmation of my promised gift, which but attends thy naming. Enter three or four lords. Fair maid, send forth thine eye. This youthful parcel of noble bachelors stand at my bestowing, or whom both sovereign power and father's voice I have to use. Thy frank election make. Thou hast power to choose, and they none to forsake. To each of you one fair and virtuous mistress fall, when love please. Marry to each but one. I'll give Bay Cartal and his furniture. My mouth no more were broken than those boys, and writ as little beard. Peruse them well. Not one of those but had a noble father. Gentlemen, heaven hath through me restored the king to health. We understand. We understand. understand. And thank, thank heaven for you. Thank heaven for you. I am a simple maid, and therein wealthiest, that I protest I simply am a maid. Face it, your majesty, I have done already. The blushes in my cheeks thus whisper me, we blush that thou shouldst choose, but be refused. Let the white death sit on thy cheek forever. We'll never come there again. Make choice and see, who shuns thy love, shuns all his love in me. Now, Diane, from thy altar do I fly, and to imperial love, that God most high do my size dream. Sir, will you hear my suit? And grant it. Thanks, sir. All the rest is moot. I had rather be in this choice than throw Ames ace for my life. The honor, sir, that flames in your fair eyes before I speak too threateningly replies, love make your fortunes 20 times above her that so wishes and her humble love. No better, if you please. My wish receive, which great love grant, and so I take my leave. To all they deny her, and they were sons of mine, I'd have them whipped, or I would send them to the Turk to make eunuchs of. Be not afraid that I your hand should take, I'll never do you wrong for your own sake. Blessings upon your vows, and in your bed find fairer fortune if you ever wed. These boys are boys of ice. They'll none have her. Sure, they are bastards to the English. The French ne'er got them. You are too young, too happy, and too good to make yourself a son out of my blood. Fair one, I think not so. There's one grape yet. I'm sure thy father drunk wine, but if thou be'st not an ass, I am a youth of fourteen. I have known thee already. I dare not say I take you, but I give me and my service, ever whilst I live, into your guiding power. This is the man. Why, then, young Bertram, take her. She's thy wife. Oh! <laughs> my wife, my liege, I, I shall beseech your highness in such a business. Give me leave to use the help of mine own eyes. Knowst thou not, Bertram, what she has done for me? Yes, my good lord. 
but never hope to know why I should marry her. Thou knowest she has raised me from my sickly bed. But follows it, my, my lord, to bring me down must answer for your raising. I know her well. She had her breathing at my father's charge. A poor physician's daughter, my wife, disdain rather corrupt me ever. Tis only title thou disdainst in her, the which I can build up. Strange is it that our bloods of color, weight, and heat poured all together with quite confound distinction, yet stand off in differences so mighty. If she be all that is virtuous, save what thou dislikest, a poor physician's daughter, thou dislikest a virtue for the name. But do not so. From lowest place, when virtuous things proceed, the place is dignified by the doer's deed. Where great additions swells, and virtues none, it is a dropsied honor. God alone is good within a name. Vileness is so. The property, by what it is, should go, not by the title. She is young, wise, fair. In these to nature she's immediate heir, and these breed honor. That is honor's scorn, which challenges itself as honor's born, and is not like the sire. Honors thrive when rather from our acts we them derive than our foregoers. The mere world's a slave debauched on every tomb, on every grave a lying trophy, and is as oft is dumb, where dust and damned oblivion is the tomb of honored bones indeed. What should be said? If thou canst like this creature as a maid, I can create the rest. Virtue and she is her own dower. Honor and wealth from me. I... I, I cannot love her, nor will strive to do it. Thou wrongst thyself if thou shouldst strive to choose. You are well restored, my lord. I'm glad. Let the rest go. My honor's at the stake, which to defeat I must produce my power. Here, take her hand, proud, scornful boy, unworthy this good gift, that dost in vile misprision shackle up my love and her desert that canst not dream, we, poisoning us in her defective scale, shall weigh thee to the beam, that wilt not know it is in us to plant thine honor where we please to have it grow. Check thy content. Obey our will, which travails in thy good. Believe not thy disdain, but presently do thine own fortunes that obedient right which both thy duty owes and our power claims, or I will throw thee from my care forever into the staggers and the careless lapse of youth and ignorance, both my revenge and hate loosing upon thee in the name of justice without all terms of pity. Speak thine answer. Pardon, my gracious Lord, for I submit my fancy to your eyes when I consider what great creation and what dole of honor flies where you bid it. I find that she, which late was in my nobler thoughts most base, is now the praise of the king, who so ennobled is as for born so. Take her by the hand and tell her she is thine, to whom I promise a counterpoise, if not to thy estate, a balance more replete. I take her hand. 
Good fortune and the favor of the king smiled upon this contract, whose ceremony shall seem expedient on the now-born brief and be performed tonight. The solemn feast shall more attend upon the coming space, expecting absent friends. As thou lovest her, thy loves to me religious, else does err. Exunt Albert Lefeu and Paroles. Do you hear, Monsieur? A word with you. Your pleasure, sir? Your lord and master did well to make his recantation. Recantation? My lord? My master? Aye, is it not a language I speak? A most harsh one, and not to be understood without bloody succeeding, my master. <laughs> Are you companion to the Count Rossillon? To any count? To all counts? To what is man? To what is Count's man? Count's master is of another style. You are too old, sir. Let it satisfy you. You are too old. I must tell thee, sirrah, I write man, to which title age cannot bring thee. What I dare too well do, I dare, I dare not do. I did think thee for two ordinaries to be a pretty wise fellow. Thou didst make tolerable vent of thy travel, it might pass, yet the scarves and the bannerets about thee did manifoldly dissuade me from believing thee a vessel of too great a burthen. I have now found thee. When I lose thee again, I care not. Yet art thou good for nothing but taking up, and that thou scarce wert. Hadst thou not the privilege of antiquity upon thee? Do not plunge thyself too far in anger, lest thou hasten thy trial, which if, Lord, have mercy on thee for a hen, so my good window of Latisse fare thee well. Thy casement I need not open, for I look through thee. Give me thy hand. My lord, you give me most egregious indignity. I rip all my heart, and thou art worthy of it. I have not, my lord, deserved it. Yes, good faith, every dram of it, and I will not bait thee a scruple. Well, I shall be wiser. Even as soon as thou canst, for thou hast to pull at a smack of the contrary. If ever thou beest bound in thy scarf and beaten, thou shalt find what it is to be proud of thy bondage. I have a desire to hold my acquaintance with thee, or rather my knowledge, that I might say in the default, he is a man I know. My lord, you do me most insupportable vexation. I would it were hell pains for thy sake, and my poor doing eternal, for doing I am past, as I will by thee, in what motion age will give me leave. Well, thou hast a son shall take this disgrace off me, scurvy old filthy scurvy lord well i must be patient there is no fettering of authority i'll beat him by my life if i can meet him with any convenience and he were double and double lord i'll have no more pity of his age than i would have i'll beat him and if i could but meet him again Sirrah, your lord and master's uh, your lord and master's married. There is news for you. You have a new mistress. I most unfeignedly beseech your lordship to make some reservation of your wrongs. He is my good lord, whom I serve above is my master. Who? God? I, sir. The devil it is that that 
that is thy master. Why dost thou garter up thy arms of this fashion? Dost make hose sleeves? Do other servants so? Thou wert best set thy lower part where thy nose stands. By mine honor, if I were but two hours younger, I'd beat thee. Methinks thou art a general offense, and every man should beat thee. I think thou wast created for men to breathe themselves upon thee. This is hard and undeserved measure, my lord. Go to, sir. You were beaten in Italy for picking a kernel out of a pomegranate. You are a vagabond and no true traveler. You are more saucy with lords and honorable personages than the commission of your birth and virtue gives you heraldry. You are not worth another word, else I'd call you knave. I leave you. Exit. Good. Very good. It is so, then. Good. Very good. Let it be concealed a while. We enter Bertram. Uh, undone and forfeited to cares forever. What's the matter, sweetheart? Although before the solemn priest I have sworn, I will not bet her. What? What? Sweetheart. Oh, my parolees, they have married me. Oh. I'll to the Tuscan Wars and never bet her. France is a dog hole, and it no more merits the tread of a man's foot. To the wars! There is a letter from my mother. What the import is, I know not yet. Aye, that would be known. To the wars, my boy, to the wars! He wears his honor in a box unseen that hugs his kicky-wicky here at home, spending his manly marrow in her arms, which should sustain the bound and high curvet of Mars's fiery steed. To other regions, France is a stable. We that dwell in it jades, therefore to the war. Hmm. It shall be so. Ah. I'll send her... To my house, acquaint <laughs> my mother with my hate to her, and wherefore I am fled. Write to the king that which I durst not speak. His hey. present gifts shall furnish me to those Italian fields where noble fellows strike. War <clears throat> is no strife to the dark house and the detested wife. Will this Carpiccio, Capriccio hold in thee? Art sure? Mm-hmm. Go with me to my chamber. And advise me. I'll send her straight away. Tomorrow I'll to the wars. She to her single sorrow. Why, these balls bound. There's noise in it. <laughs> Tis hard. A young man married is a young man marred. Therefore away and leave her bravely. Go. The king has done you wrong. But hush. Tis so. <laughs> Exempt. Scene four, Paris, the king's palace. Enter Helena and clown. My mother greets me kindly. Is she well? She is not well, but yet she has her health. She's very merry, but yet she is not well. But... Thanks be given, she's very well and wants nothing in the world, but yet she is not well. 
if she be very well, what does she ail? That she's not very well. Truly, she's very well indeed. But for two things. What two things? One, that she's not in heaven. Whither God send her quickly. The other, that she's in earth. From whence God send her quickly. Enter Parolis. Bless you, my fortunate lady. I hope, sir. I have your good will to have mine own good fortunes. You had my prayers to lead them on, and to keep them on, and to keep them on, have them still. Oh, my knave, how does my old lady? So that you had her wrinkles and I her money? I would she did as you say. Why, I say nothing. Mary, you are the wiser man, for many a man's tongue shakes out his master's undoing. To say nothing, to do nothing, to know nothing, and to have nothing, is to be a great part of your title, which is within a very little of nothing. Away, thou art a knave. <laughs> you should have said, sir, before a knave thou art a knave, that's before me thou art a knave. This had been truth, sir. Go to, thou art a witty fool. I have found thee. Did you find me in yourself, sir? Or were you taught to find me? The search, sir, was profitable. And much fool may find you in you, even to the world's pleasure and increase the laughter. <laughs> a good name, <laughs> a good name, Faith, well fed. The madam, my lord, will go away tonight. A very serious business calls on him. The great prerogative and right of love, which as your due, uh, time claims, he does acknowledge, but puts it off to a compelled restraint, whose want and whose delay is strewed with sweets, which they distill now in the curbed time to make the coming hour o'erflow with joy and pleasure drown the brim. What's his will else? That you will take your instant leave of the king and make this haste as your own good proceeding, strengthened with what apology you think may make it pro probable need. What more commands he? That, having it's obtained, you presently attend his further pleasure. In everything I wait upon his will. I shall report it so. I pray you. Mm-hmm. Exit Parolles. Exit. Scene five. Paris, the king's palace. Enter Lefeu and Bartram. But I hope your lordship thinks not him a soldier. Uh, yes, my lord, and a very valiant proof. You have it from his own deliverance. And by other wanted testimony. And my dial goes not true. I took this lark for a bunting. I do assure you, my lord, he is very great in knowledge and accordingly valiant. And sinned against his experience and transgressed against his valor. And my state that way is dangerous since I cannot yet find in my heart to repent. Here it comes. Pray you, make us friends. I will pursue the amity. Enter Parolis. 
These things shall be done, sir. Pray you, sir, who's his tailor? Oh, I, I know him well. I, sir, he, sir, it's a good workman, a very good tailor. Is she gone to the king? She is. Will she away tonight? As you'll have her. I have writ my letters, casketed my treasure, given order for our horses, and tonight, when I should take possession of the bride, and ere I do begin. A, a good traveler is something at the latter end of a dinner, but one that lies three-thirds and uses a known truth to pass a thousand nothings with should be once heard and thrice beaten. God save you, Captain. Is there any unkindness between my lord and you, monsieur? I know not how I have deserved to run into my lord's displeasure. You have made shift to run into it, boots and spurs and all, like him that leaped into the custard, and out of it you'll run again, rather than suffer question for your residence. Um, it may be you have mistaken him, my lord. And shall do so ever, though I took him as prayers. Fare you well, my lord, and believe this of me. There can be no kernel in this light nut. The soul of this man is his clothes. Trust him not in matter of heavy consequence. I have kept of them tame and know their natures. Farewell, Monsieur. I have spoken better of you than you have or will to deserve at my hand. But we must do good against evil. Exit. An idle lord, I swear. <laughs> I think so. Why, do you not know him? Mm, yes, I do know him well, and common speech gives him a worthy path. Yeah. Here comes my clog. Enter Helena. Oh. <clears throat> I have, sir, as I was commanded from you, spoke with the king and have procured his leave for present parting. Only he desires some private speech with you. I shall obey his will. You must not marvel, Helen, at my course, which holds not color with the time, nor does the ministration and required office on my particular. Prepared I was not for such a business. Therefore, am I found so much unsettled. And this drives me to entreat you that presently you take away, you take our way for home, and rather muse than ask why I entreat you, for my respect are better than they seem, and my appointments have in them a need greater than shows itself at the first view to you that know them not. This to my mother. T'will be two days ere I shall see you, and so I leave you to your wisdom. Sir, I can nothing say but that I am your most obedient servant. Come, come, no more of that. And ever shall, with true observance, seek to eke out that wherein toward my homely stars have failed to equal my great fortune. Mm, let that go. My haste is very great. Farewell. Hi, home. Pray, sir, your pardon. Uh, well, what would you say? I am not worthy of the wealth I owe, nor dare I say tis mine, and yet it is. But like a timorous thief, most fain would steal what law does vouch mine own. What would you have? Something 
and scarce so much, nothing indeed. I would not tell you what I would, my lord. Faith, yes, strangers and foes do sunder and not kiss. Uh, I, I pray you stay not, but in haste to horse. I shall not break your bidding, good my lord. Where are my other men, monsieur? Farewell. Exit, Helena. Go thou toward home, where I will never come whilst I can shake my sword or hear the drum. Away, and for our flight. Bravely, Coraggio. Coraggio. <laughs> Act three, scene one, Florence, the Duke's palace. Flourish, enter the Duke of Florence, attended the two Frenchmen with a troop of soldiers. So, that. From point to point now, have you heard the fundamental reasons of this war? Whose great decision hath much blood let forth, and more thirsts after? Holy seems the quarrel upon your grace's part, black and fearful on the opposer. Therefore we marvel much our cousin France would in so just a business shut his bosom against our borrowing prayers. Good, my lord, the reasons of our state I cannot yield. But like a common and an outward man that the great figure of a council frames by self-unable motion, therefore dare not say what I think of it, since I have found myself in my uncertain grounds to fail as often as I guessed. Be it his pleasure. But I am sure the younger of our nature, the surfeit on their ease, will day by day come here for physic. Welcome shall they be, and all the honors that can fly from us shall on them settle. You know your place as well, when better fall for your avails they fell. Tomorrow to the field. Flourish, exempt. Scene two, Boussillon, the Count's palace, enter Countess and Clown. It hath happened all as I would have had it, save that he comes not along with her. By my troth, I take my young lord to be a very melancholy man. By what observance, I pray you? Why, he will look upon his boot and sing. Mend the ruffle and sing. Ask questions and sing. Pick his teeth. And sing, I know a man that had this trick of melancholy sold a goodly manner for a song. Let me see what he writes and when he means to come. I have no mind to Isabel since I was at court. Our old ling and our Isabels of the country are nothing like your old ling and your Isabels of the court. The brains of my cupids knocked out and I begin to love as an old man loves money with no stomach. What have we here? E'en that you have there. I have sent you a daughter-in-law. She hath recovered the king and undone me. I have wedded her, not bedded her, and sworn to make the knot eternal. You shall hear I am run away. I know it before the report come. If there be breadth enough in the world, I will hold a long distance my duty to you, your unfortunate son, Bertram. This is not well. Rash and unbridled boy, 
to fly the favors of so good a king, to pluck his indignation on the head by the misprising of a maid too virtuous for the contempt of empire. Oh, madam, yonder is heavy news within between two soldiers and my young lady. What's the matter? Nay, there's some comfort in the news, some comfort. Your son will not be killed so soon as I thought he would. Why should he be killed? So say I, madam, if he run away, as I hear he does, the danger is in standing to it. That's the loss of men, though it be the getting of children. Here they come. They will tell you more. For my part, I only hear your son was run away. Exit. Enter Helena and two gentlemen. Save you, good madam. Madam, my lord is gone, forever gone. Do not say so. Upon patience. Pray you, gentlemen, I have held so many quirks of joy and grief that the first face of neither on the start can woman be unto it. Where is my son, I pray you? Madam, he's gone to serve the Duke of Florence. We met him thitherward, for thence we came, and after some dispatch in hand at court, thither we bend again. Look on his letter, madam. Here's my passport. When thou canst get the ring upon my finger, which never shall come off, and show me a child begotten of thy body, that I am father, then call me husband. But in such a then, I write a never. This is a dreadful sentence. Brought you this letter, gentlemen? Aye, madam, and for the content's sake, are sorry for our pain. My pretty lady, have a better cheer. If thou engrossest, all thy griefs are thine. Thou robbest me of a moiety. He was my son. But I do wash his name out of my blood, and thou art all my child. Towards Florence is he? Aye, madam. And to be a soldier? Such is his noble purpose, and believe it, the Duke will lay upon him all the honor that good convenience claims. Return you thither? Aye, madam, with the swiftest wing of speed. I have no wife, I have nothing in France. It's bitter. Find you that there? Aye, madam. Tis but the boldest of his hand, haply which his heart not consenting to. Nothing in France until he have no wife. There's nothing here that is too good for him, but only she. And she deserves a lord that twenty such rude boys might tend upon and call her hourly mistress. Who was with him? A servant only, and a gentleman, which I have some time known. Parolis, was it not? Aye, my good lady, he. A very tainted fellow, and full of wickedness. My son corrupts a well-derived nature with his inducement. Indeed, good lady, the fellow has a deal of that too much, which holds him much to have. You're welcome, gentlemen. I will entreat you, when you see my son, to tell him that his sword can never win the honor that he loses. More I'll entreat you written to bear along. We serve you, madam, in that and all your worthiest affairs. Not so, but as we change our courtesies, we'll draw you near. Excellent, countess and gentlemen. Till I have no wife, I have nothing in France. Nothing in France until he has no wife. Thou shalt have none, Rossignol, none in France. Then hast thou all again. 
poor Lord. Is it I that chase thee from thy country and expose those tender limbs of thine to the event of the non-sparring war? And is it I that drive thee from the sportive court where thou wast shot at with fair eyes to be the mark of smoky muskets? Oh, you leaden messengers that ride upon the violent spear of fire, fly with false aim, move the still-peering air that sings with piercing, do not touch my lord. Where shouts at him? I set him there. Whoever charges on his forward beast, I am the caitiff that do hold him to it. And though I kill him not, I am the cause his death was so affected. Better twere I met the raven lion when he roared with sharp constraint of hunger. Better twere that all the miseries which nature owes were mine at once. No. Come thou home, Rossignol, whence honour but of danger wins a scar, as oft it loses all. I will be gone. My being here is that holds thee hence. Shall I stay here to do it? No. No, although the air of paradise did fan the house of angels office here, I will be gone. That pitiful arm rumour may report my flight to consolate thine ear. Come night. And day, for with the dark, poor thief, I'll steal away. Exit. Scene three, Florence, before the Duke's palace. Flourish under the Duke of Florence, Bertram, Parolis, soldiers, drum, and trumpets. The general of our horse thou art, and we, great in our hope, lay our best love and credence upon thy promising fortune. Sir, it is a charge too heavy for my strength, but yet will strive to bear it for your worthy sake to the extreme edge of hazard. Then go thou forth, and fortune play upon thy prosperous helm as thy auspicious mistress. This very day, great Mars, I put myself into thy file. Make me but like my thoughts, and I shall prove a lover of thy drum, hater of love. Exunt, scene four, Roussillon, the Count's palace, enter Countess and Steward. Alas, and would you take the letter of her? Might you not know she would do as she had done by sending me a letter? Read it again. I am St. Jacques' pilgrim, thither gone. Ambitious love hath so in me offended. Their barefoot plod, I the cold ground upon with sainted vow my faults to have amended. Right, right, that from the bloody course of war, my dearest master, your dear son, may high. Bless him at home in peace, whilst I from far his name with zealous fervor sanctify. His taken labors bid him me forgive. I, his despiteful Juno, sent him forth from courtly friends, with camping foes to live, where death and danger dogs the heels of worth. He is too good and fair for death and me, whom I myself embrace to set him free. What sharp stings are in her mildest words. Rinaldo, you did never lack advice so much as letting her pass so. Had I spoke with her, I could have well diverted her intents, which... Thus she hath prevented. 
pardon me, madam, if I had given you this at overnight, she might have been overtaken, and yet, she writes, pursuit would be but vain. What angel shall bless this unworthy husband? He cannot thrive, unless her prayers, whom heaven delights to hear and loves to grant, reprive him with the wrath of greatest justice. Right. Write, Rinaldo, to this unworthy husband of his wife. Let every word weigh heavy of her worth, that he does weigh too light. My greatest grief, the little he do feel it, set down sharply. Dispatch the most convenient messenger. When haply he shall hear that she is gone, he will return. And hope I may that she, hearing so much, will speed her foot again, led hither by pure love, which of them both is dearest to me. I have no skill in sense to make distinction. Provide this messenger. My heart is heavy and mine age is weak. Grief would have tears and sorrow bids me speak. Excellent. Scene five, Florence, without the walls, a tucket afar off. Enter an old widow of Florence, Diana, Violenta, and Mariana, with other, other citizens. Nay, come, for if they do approach the city, we shall lose at the sight. They say the French count has done most honorable service. It is reported that he has taken their greatest commander, and that with his own hand he slew the duke's brother. We have lost their la our labor. They are now gone a contrary way. Hark! You may know by their trumpets. Come, let's return again and suffice ourselves with the report of it. Well, Diana, take heed of this French earl. The honor of a maid is her name, and no legacy is so rich as honesty. I have told my neighbor how you have been solicited by a gentleman, his companion. Oh, I know that knave. Hang him, one parolas. A filthy officer he is in those suggestions for the young earl. Beware of them, Diana. Their promises, enticements, oaths, tokens, and all these engines of lust are not the things they go under. Many a maid hath been seduced by them. And the misery is, example, that so terrible shows in the wreck of maidenhood cannot for all that dissuade succession, but that they are limed with the twigs that threaten them. I hope I need not to advise you further, but I hope your own grace will keep you where you are, though there were no further danger known but the modesty which is so lost. You shall not need to fear me. I hope so. Dr. Helena, disguised like a pilgrim. Oh, look, here comes a pilgrim. I know she will lie at my house, but they send one another. I'll question her. God save you, pilgrim. Whither are you bound? To Saint Jacques le Grand, where do the Palmer's Lodge, I do beseech you. At the Saint Francis here, beside the port. Is this the way? Aye, Mary is. A march afar off. Hark you, they come this way. If you will tarry, holy pilgrim, but till the troops come by, I will conduct you where you shall be lodged. The rather, for I think I know your, ho your hostess as ample as myself. Is it yourself? If you shall please so, Pilgrim. <laughs> I thank you, and will stay upon your leisure. You came, I think, from France. I did so. 
Here you shall see a countryman of yours that has done worthy service. His name, I pray you? The Count Rossillon. Know you such a one? But by the ear that hears most nobly of him, his face I know not. Whomever he is, he's bravely taken here. He stole from France, as tis reported, for the king had married him against his liking. Think you it is so? Ay, surely, mere the truth, I know his lady. There's a gentleman that serves the count, reports but coarsely of her. What's his name? Monsieur Parolis. Oh, I believe with him in argument of praise or to the worth of the great count himself. She is too mean to have her name repeated. All her deserving is a reserved honesty, and that I have not heard examined. Alas, poor lady, tis a hard bondage to become a wife of a detesting lord. I warrant, good creature, wheresoever she is, her heart weighs sadly. This young maid might do her a shrewd turn if she pleased. How do you mean? Maybe the amorous count solicits her in the unlawful purpose? He does indeed. And brooks with all that can in such a suit corrupt the tender honor of a maid, that she is armed for him and keeps her guard in honestest defense. The gods forbid else. Now they come. Drum and colors. Enter Bertram, Parolas, and the whole army. That is Antonio, the Duke's eldest Mm. son. Uh, That Aeschylus. Which, Which is the Frenchman? He, that with the plume, tis the most gallant fellow. I would that he loved his wife. If he were honester, he would be much, he were much goodlier. Is it not a handsome gentleman? I like him well. Tis pity he is not honest. Oh, yon's the same knave that leads him to these places. Were I his lady, I would poison that vile rascal. Which is he? That jack and apes with scarves. Why is he melancholy? Chance he's hurt in the battle. Those are drawn. Well, he's shrewdly vexed at something. Oh, look, he spied us. Mary, hang you! And your courtesy for a ring carrier. Isn't Bertram Perillus and army? The troop is passed. Come, pilgrim, I will bring you where you shall host. Of enjoined penitence, there's four or five to Great St. Jacques Bound already at my house. Humbly thank you. Please it this matron and this gentle maid to eat with us tonight. The charge and thanking shall be for me, and to requite you further, I will bestow some precepts of this virgin worthy note. We'll take your offer kindly. Exit. Scene. Six, camp before Florence, enter Bertram and the two French lords. Nay, my good lord, put him to it. Let him have his way. Your lordship find him not a hilding. Hold me no more in your respect. On my life, lord, a bubble. You think I'm so far deceived in him? Believe it, my lord, in mine own direct knowledge without any malice, but to speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertainment. It were fit you knew him, lest reposing too far in his virtue, which he hath not, he might at some 
Great and trusty business in the main danger fail you. I would I knew in what particular action to try him. None better than to let him fetch off his drum, which you hear him so confidently undertake to do. I, with a troop of Florentines, will suddenly surprise him. Such I will have, whom I am sure he knows not from the enemy. <laughs> we will bind and hoodwink him so that he shall suppose no other but that he is carried into the leaguer of the adversaries when we bring him to our own town. But your lordship present at his examination. But, oh, sorry, be but your lordship present, obviously, at his examination. <laughs> if he do not, for the promise of his life and in the highest compulsion of base fear, offer to betray you and deliver all the intelligence in his power against you, and that with the divine forfeit of his soul upon oath. Never trust my judgment in anything. Oh, for the love of laughter, let him fetch his drum. He says he has a stratagem for it. When your lordship sees the bottom of his success in it, and to what metal this counterfeit lump of ore will be melted, if you give him not John Drum's entertainment, your inclining cannot be removed. Oh, here he comes. Under Parolis. Oh, for the love of laughter, hinder not the honor of his design. Let him fetch off his drum with in any hand. How now, monsieur? This drum sticks sorely in your disposition. Uh, pox on it. Let it go, tis but a drum. But a drum? Is to but a drum? A drum so lost. There was excellent command to charge in with our horse upon our own wings and to rend our own soldiers. Oh. That was not to be blamed in the command of service. It was a disaster of war that Caesar himself could not have prevented if he had been there to command. Well, <laughs> we cannot greatly condemn our success. Some dishonor we had in the loss of that drum, but it is not to be recovered. It might have been recovered. It might, but it is not now. It is to be recovered but that the merit of service is seldom attributed to the true and exact performer, I would have that drum, or another, or hick jackets. Why, if you have a stomach to it, monsieur, if you think your mystery and stratagem can bring, can bring this instrument of honor again into his native quarter, be magnanimous in the enterprise and go on. I will grace the attempt for a worthy exploit. If you speed well in it, the Duke shall both speak of it and extend to you what further becomes his greatness, even to the utmost syllable of your worthiness. By the hand of a soldier, I will undertake it. But you must not now slumber in it. All about it this evening, and I will presently pen down my dilemmas encourage myself in my certainty, put myself into my mortal preparation, and by midnight, look to hear further from me. Mm-hmm. May I be bold to acquaint his grace you are gone about it. I know not what success will be, my lord, but the attempt, I vow. I know thou art valiant. 
and to the possibility of thy soldiership, we'll subscribe for thee. Farewell. I love not many words. Exit. <laughs> <laughs> no one is more than a fish loves water. Is not this a strange fellow, my lord, that so confidently seems to undertake this business, which he knows is not to be done, damns himself to do, and dares better be damned than to do it? <laughs> you do not know him, my lord, as we do. Certain it is that he will steal himself into a man's favor for a weak escape, a great deal of discoveries, but when you find him out, you have him ever after. Why, do you think he will make no deed at all of this that so seriously he does address himself onto? <laughs> None in the world. <laughs> but return with an invention and clap you upon you two or three probable lies. <laughs> but we have almost embossed him. You shall see his fall tonight, for indeed he is not for your lordship's mm -hmm. respect. We'll make you some sport with the fox ere we case him. He was first smoked by the old Lord Le Feu when his disguise and he is parted. Tell me what a sprat you shall find him, which you shall see this very night. I must go look my twigs. He shall be caught. Uh, your brother, he shall go along with me. As please, your lordship. I'll leave you. That's it. Now will I lead you to the house and show you the laugh I spoke of. But you say she's honest? Mm, that's all the fault. I spoke with her but once and found her wondrous cold. But I sent to her by the same coxcomb that we have in the wind, tokens and letters which she did resend. And this is all I have done. She's a fair creature. Will you go see her? With on my heart, my lord. Exempt. Scene seven, Florence, the widow's house. Enter Helena and widow. If you misdoubt me that I am not she, I know not how I shall assure you further. But I shall lose the grounds I work upon. Though my estate befallen, I was well born. Nothing acquainted with these businesses, and would not put my reputation now in any staining act. Nor would I wish you. First, give me trust. The Count, he is my husband. And what you, your sworn counsel I have spoken is so from word to word, and then you cannot, by the good aid that I of you shall borrow, err in bestowing it. I should believe you, for you have showed me that which well approves your great in fortune. Take this purse of gold, and let me buy your friendly help thus far, which I will overpay and pay again when I have found it. The Count, he woos your daughter, lays down his wanton siege before her beauty, resolves to carry her, let her in fine consent, as we'll direct her how tis best to bear it. Now his important blood will not even deny that she'll demand a ring the county wears. That downward hath succeeded in his house, from son to son, from four or five descendants, since the first father wore it, this ring he holds in most rich choice, yet in his idle fire to buy his will, it will not seem too dear, howe'er repented after. Now I see the bottom of your purpose. You see it lawful then, 
it is no more but that your daughter, ere she seems as one, desires this ring, appoints him an encounter, in fine delivers me to fill the time. Herself most chastely absent, after this, to marry her, I'll add three thousand crowns to what is past already. I have yielded. Instruct my daughter how she shall persever, that time and place with this deceit so lawful may prove coherent. Every night he comes with musics of all sorts and songs composed to her unworthiness. It nothing steads us to chide him from our eaves, for he persists as if his life lay on. Why then tonight, let us essay our plot, which, if it speed, is wicked meaning in a lawful deed, and lawful meaning in a lawful act. We're both not sin and yet a sinful fact, but let's about it. Exit. Act four, scene one, without the Florentine camp. Enter the second French lord with five or six other soldiers in ambush. He can come no other way but by this hedge corner. When you sally upon him, speak what terrible language you will, though you understand it not yourself, no matter. For we must not seem to understand him, unless some one among us whom we must produce for an interpreter. Oh, 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 good, 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 Captain. Uh, let me be the interpreter. Art thou not acquainted with him? Knows he not thy voice? No, sir, I warn you. <laughs> but what, Lindsay Wolsey, hast thou to speak to us again? In such as you speak to me. <laughs> he must think of some band of strangers in the adversary's entertainment. Now he hath a smack of all neighboring languages. Therefore, we must every one be a man of his own fancy, not to know what we speak to another. So we seem to know, is to know straight our purpose. Choose languages gabble enough and good enough. <laughs> As for you, interpreter, you must seem very polite. <laughs> or not politic, and polite, politic. But couch, oh, here he comes. To beguile two hours in a sleep and then to return and swear the lies he forges. Deperolis. Oh, 10 o'clock. Within these three hours, twill be time enough to go home. What shall I say I've done? It must be a very plausive invention that carries it. They begin to smoke me, and disgraces have of late knocked too often at my door. I find my tongue is too foolhardy. But my heart hath a fear of Mars before it had and of his creature before it and of his creatures, not daring the reports of my tongue. This is the first truth that e'er thine own tongue was guilty of. <laughs> what the devil should move me to undertake the recovery of this drum? Being not ignorant of the impossibility and knowing I had no such purpose. Ugh. I must give myself some hurts and say I got them an exploit. Yet slight ones will not yet slight ones will not carry it. They will say, came you off with so little? And great ones I dare not give. Wherefore, what's the instance? Tongue, I must put you into a butter woman's mouth and buy myself another of Bajazet's mule, if you prattle me into these perils. 
is it possible he should know what he is and be that he is? I would. The cutting of my garments would serve the turn with the breaking of my Spanish sword. We cannot afford these, though. <sighs> or the barring, the bearing of my beard. And to say it was in stratagem. It would not do. Or to drown my clothes and say I was <laughs> stripped. <laughs> Hardly serve. Though I swore I leapt from the window of the citadel. Oh, how deep. Thirty fathom. Three great oaths would scarce make that he'd be believed. I would I had any drum of the enemies. I would swear I recovered it. You shall hear one and on. A drum now of the enemies. Alarm within. Blindfold him. AC's blindfold him. Who is first soldier? But, um, I'm I'm working off of, hang on. Well, everything's sorted out. One second, please. Your line's kind of like a nonsense, like random syllables. So, for all. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I know you are the, the Moscow's regiment. I, I, shall, I shall lose my life for want of language if there be here a German or Dane, Low Dutch, Italian or French. Let him speak to me. Uh, I'll discover that which shall undo the Florentine. Bosco Vavado, I understand thee and can speak thy tongue. Curly Bonto, sir, we take thee to thy faith, for seventeen poniards are at thy bosom. Oh! Oh, pray, pray, pray. Menka Ravania Dolce. Let's go, the general is content to spare thee yet, and, hoodwinked as thou art, will lead thee on to gather from thee. Haply thou mayst inform something to save thy life. Oh, let me live, and all the secrets of our camp I'll show, their force, uh, their purposes. Nay, I'll speak that which you will wonder at. But wilt thou faithfully? If I do not, damn me. Accordo, Linda. Come on. Thou art granted space. Oh. You sit with parole is guarded. A short alarm within. <laughs> Go. Tell the Count Rosillon and my brother. We have caught the woodcock and we'll keep him muffled so we do hear from them. Captain, I will. I will betray us all into ourselves. Inform on that. Oh, I will, sir. Till then, I'll keep him dark and safely locked. 
Excellent. Scene two, Florence, the widow's house. Enter Bertram and Diana. They told me that your name was Fontabelle. Uh, no, my good lord. Diana. Oh, titled goddess and worth it with addition. But fair soul in your fine frame hath love no quality. If quick fire of youth light not your mind, you are no maiden but a monument. When you are dead, you should be such a one as you are now, for you are cold and stem. And now you should be as your mother was when your sweet self was got. She then was honest. Mm, so should you be. No, my mother did but duty, such my lord as you owe your wife. No more of that, I pray thee. Do not strive against my vows. I was compelled to her, but I love thee by love's own sweet constraint, and will forever do thee all rights of service. Aye, so you serve us till we serve you. But when you have our roses, you barely leave our thorns to prick ourselves and mock us with our bareness. How have I sworn? Tis not the many oaths that makes the truth, but the plain single vow that is vowed true. What is not holy that we swear not by, but take the highest witness, then pray you tell me. If I should swear by God's great attributes, I loved you dearly. Would you believe my oaths when I did love you ill? This has no holding to swear by him whom I protest to love, that I will work against him. Therefore, your oaths are words in poor conditions, but unsealed, at least in my opinion. Change it. Change it. Be not so wholly cruel. Love is holy, and my integrity never knew the craft that you do charge men with. Stand no more off, but give thyself unto my sick desires, who then recover. Say thou art mine, and ever my love as it begins shall so persevere. I see that men make ropes in, in such a scar that we'll forsake ourselves. Give me that ring. Uh, I'll lend it thee, my dear, but have no power to give it from me. Oh, will you not, my lord? It is an honor longing to our house, bequeathed down from many ancestors, which were the greatest obloquy in the world in me to lose. Mine honors such a ring. My chastity is the jewel of our house, bequeathed down by, from many ancestors, which were the greatest obloquy in the world in me to lose. Thus, your own proper wisdom brings in the champion for my heart against your vain assault. Mm. Here, take my ring. My house, mine honor, yea, my life be thine, and I'll be bid by thee. When midnight comes, knock at my chamber window. I'll order take my mother shall not hear. Now will I charge you in the band of truth, when you have conquered my yet maiden bed, remain there but an hour, nor speak to me. My reasons are most strong, and you shall know them when back again this ring shall be delivered. And on your finger in the night, I'll put another ring, that what in time proceeds may token to the future our past deeds. Adieu until then, fail not. You have won a wife of me, though there my hope be done. Oh, heaven on earth I have won by wooing thee. Exit. 
for which long live long to thank both heaven and me, you may so in the end. My mother told me just how he would woo, as if she sat in the heart. She says all men have the like oaths. He had sworn to marry me when his wife's dead. Therefore, I'll lie with him when I am buried. Since Frenchmen are so braid, marry that will, I live and die a maid. Only in this disguise, I think it no sin to cozen him that would unjustly win. Exit. Scene three, the Florentine camp. Enter the two French lords and some two or three soldiers. You have not given him his mother's letter? I've delivered it an hour since. There's something in it that stings his nature. For on the reading, it he changed almost into another man. He has much worthy blame laid upon him for shaking off so good a wife and so sweet a lady. And especially, I think, heard the everlasting displeasure of the king, who had even tuned his bounty to sing happiness to him. I'll tell you a thing, but you shall let it dwell darkly with you. When you've spoken it, tis dead, and I am the grave of it. He has perverted a young gentlewoman here in Florence, the most chaste renown. This night, he fleshes his will in the spoil of her honor. He hath given her his monumental ring and thinks himself made in the unchaste composition. Now God delay our rebellion as we are ourselves. What things are we? Merely our own traitors. And as in the common course of all treasons, we still see them reveal themselves till they attain to their abhorred ends. So he that in his action contrives against his own nobility in his proper stream or flows himself. Is it not damnable in us to be trumpeters of our unlawful interests? We shall not then have his company tonight? Not till after midnight, for he is dieted to his hour. <laughs> that approaches apace. I would gladly have him see his company anatomized, that he might take a measure of his own judgments, wherein so curiously he had set this counterfeit. We will not meddle with him till he come, for his presence must be the whip of the other. In the meantime, what hear you of these wars? I hear there is an overture of peace. Nay, I assure you, the peace concluded. Well, what will Count Rosilian do then? Will he travel higher or re return again into France? I perceive by this demand you are not altogether of his counsel. Let it be forbid, sir. So should I be a great deal of his act. Sir, <clears throat> his wife some two months since fled from his house. His pretense is a pilgrimage to St. Jacques le Grand, which, holy undertaking with most austere sanctimony, she accomplished. And there, residing the tenderness of her nature, became as a prey to her grief. And fine, made a groan of her last breath, and now she sings in heaven. How is this justified? The stronger part of it by her own letters, which makes her story true, even to the point of her death. Her death itself, which could not be her office, 
to say is come was faithfully confirmed by the rector of the place. Have the count all this intelligence? Aye. And the particular confirmations, point from point, so to the full arming of this verity. I'm heartily sorry that he'll be glad of this. How mightily sometimes we make us comforts of our losses. And how mightily some other times we drown our gain in tears. The great dignity that his valor hath here acquired for him shall at home be encountered with the shame as ample. Hmm. The web of our life is of a mingled yarn. Good hmm. and ill together. Our virtues would be proud if our faults whipped them not, and our crimes would despair if they were not cherished by our virtues. Enter a messenger. How now? Where's your master? He bent the duke in the street, sir, of whom he hath taken a solemn leave. His lordship will next morning for France. The duke hath offered him the letters of commendations to the king. There shall be no more need, no more than needful there, if they were more than they can commend. They cannot be too sweet for the king's tartness. Here's his lordship now. Enter Bertram. How now, my lord? Is it not after midnight? I have tonight dispatched sixteen businesses, a month's length apiece, by an abstract of success. I have can I have conjured with the duke done my adieu with his nearest, buried a wife, mourned for her, writ to my lady mother I am returning, entertained my convoy, and between these main parcels of dispatch affected many nicer needs. The last was the greatest, but that I have not yet ended. <laughs> if the business be of any difficulty, and this morning your departure hence, it requires some haste of your lordship. I mean, the business is not ended, as fearing to hear of it hereafter. But shall we have this dialogue between the fool and the soldier? Come, bring forth this counterfeit module. He has deceived me like a double-meaning prophesizer. Bring him forth. <laughs> has sit in the stocks all night, poor gallant knave. No matter. His heels have deserved it, and usurping his spurs so long. How does he carry himself? I have told your lordship already. The stocks carry him. <laughs> But to answer you as you would be understood, he weeps like a wench that hath shed her milk. He hath confessed himself to Morgan, whom he supposes to be a friar, from the time of his remembrance to this very instant disaster of his setting in the sacks. And what think you he hath confessed? Mm, nothing of me, has he? <laughs> his confession is taken, and it shall be read to his face. If your lord should be in it, as I believe you are, you must have the patience to hear it. Hmm. Enter Parolas, guarded and first soldier. Ah, a plague upon him. Muffled, he can say nothing of me. Hush, hush. Good man comes, Portotarosa. Oh, he calls for the tortures. What will you say without him? I will confess what I know without constraint. If you pinch me like a pasty, I can say no more. Bosco, Jimmy Chimercho. Bobli bindo chikormuko. 
you are a merciful general. Our general bids you answer to what I shall ask you out of a note. And truly as I hope to live. First, demand of him how many horse the duke is strong. What say you to that? Uh, five or six thousand, uh, but very weak and unserviceable. Uh, the troops are all scattered, and the commander is very poor rogues upon my reputation and credit, and as I do hope to live. Shall the first sir soldier sit down your answer, sir? Uh, do, do, I'll, I'll take the sacrament out, how and which way you will. All's one to him. What a path-saving slave is this? You're deceived, my lord. This is Monsieur Parois, the gallant militarist. That was his own phrase, that had the whole theoric of war in the knot of his scarf and the practice in the shape of his dagger. I will never trust a man again for keeping his sword clean, nor believe he can have everything in him by wearing his apparel neatly. Well, that's that down. Five or six thousand horse, I said, I will say true, or thereabout. Sit down, for I'll speak truth. He's very near the truth in this. But I con him no thanks for it, in the nature he delivers it. Poor rogues, I pray you say. Well, that's set down. Uh, 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 I, I humbly thank you, sir. Sir, a truth's a truth. Uh, the rogues are marvelous poor. Uh, uh, demand of him of what strength they are afoot. What say you to that? By my troth, sir, if I were to live this present hour, if I were to live this present hour, I will tell true. Uh, let me see. Uh, Spirio, a hundred and fifty. Sebastian, so many. Carambus, so many. Jaque, so many. Uh, Giltian, Cosmo, Lodewick, and Gratii, two hundred and fifty each. In mine own company, Chitifer, Vomon, Bentii, two hundred and fifty each. So that the muster file, rotten and sound, upon my life, amounts not to fifteen thousand pole. The half of the half of the which dare not shake snow from off their cassocks, uh, lest they shake themselves to pieces. What, what shall be done to him? Nothing. But let him have thanks. Demand of him my condition and what credit I have with the duke. Well, that's set down. Uh, you shall demand of him whether one Captain Dumain be in the camp a Frenchman, what his reputation is with the Duke, what his valor, honesty, and expertness in wars, or whether he thinks it were not possible with well-weighing sums of gold to corrupt him with, with revolt. What say you to this? What do you know of it? 
I beseech you, let me answer to the particular of the interrogatories. Uh, demand them singly. Do you know this Captain Dumaine? I know him. It was a botcher's apprentice in Paris from whence he was whipped for getting the Shreve's fool with child. A dumb innocent. Uh, that could not say him nay. Nay, uh, by your leave, hold your hands. Though I know his brains are forfeit to the next tile that falls. Well, is this captain in the Duke of Florence's camp? Upon my knowledge, he is. And lousy. Nay, not look, look not so upon me. We shall hear of your lordship anon. What is his reputation with the duke? The Duke knows him for no other but a poor officer of mine, and, and, and writ to me this other day to turn him out of the band. I think I have his letter in my pocket. Mary, we'll search. In good sadness, I do not know. Either it is there, or it is upon a file with the Duke's other letters in my tent. Here it is. Here's the paper. Shall I read it to, shall I read it to you? Uh, I do not know if it be it or no. Um interpreter does it well excellently yeah uh, <clears throat> diane the count's a fool and full of gold uh, that is not the duke's letter sir uh that is an advertisement to uh, a proper maid in in florence one diana to take heed of the allurement of one count roussillon uh, a foolish idle boy but for all that, very ruttish. I pray you, sir, put, put it up again. Nay, I'll read it first by your favor. My meaning in I protest, was very honest in the behalf of the maid, for I know the young count to be a dangerous and lascivious boy who is a whale to virginity and devours up all the fry it finds. Damnable, both sides rogue. When he swears oaths, bid him drop gold and take it. After he scores, he never pays the score. No. Half one is match well made. Match and well make it. He ne'er pays after debts. Take it before. Yeah. And say a soldier, Diane, told thee this. Men are to mell with, boys are not to kiss. For, nah. hmm, for count of this, the count's a fool. I know it. I know Who it. Paid before but not when he does owe it. Not. Thine, as he vowed to thee in thine ear, Parolis. Parolis. He shall be whipped through the army with this rhyme in his forehead. Mm, this is your devoted friend, sir, the manifold linguist and the armipotent arm, soldier. Mm, I could endure anything before, uh, but a cat. And now, he's a cat to me. 
I perceive, sir, by the general's looks, we shall be fain to hang you. My life, sir, in any case? Not that I am afraid to die, but that my offenses being many, I would repent out the remainder of nature. Uh, let me live, sir, in a dungeon, in the stocks, or anywhere, so I may live. We'll see what may be done so you confess freely. Therefore, once more to this Captain Dumaine. You have answered to his reputation with the Duke and to his valor. What is his honesty? He will steal, sir, an egg out of a cloister. For rapes and ravishments, he parallels Nessus. He professes not keeping of oaths. In breaking them, he is stronger than Hercules. He will lie, sir, with such volubility that you would think truth were a fool. Drunkenness is his best virtue, for he will be swine drunk, and in his sleep he does little harm, save to his bedclothes about him. Psst, psst, psst. But they know his conditions and lay him in a straw. I have but little more to say, sir, of his honesty. He has everything that an honest man should not have. What an honest man should have, he has nothing. I begin to love him for this. For this description of thine honesty. A pox upon him for me. He's more and more a cat. What say you to his expertness in war? Faith, sir, he has led the drum before the English tragedians. To belie him, I will not, and more of his soldiership, I know not. Except in that country, he had the honor to be the officer at a place there called Mile End, to instruct for the doubling of files. I would do the man what honor I can, but of this I am not certain. He has out-villained villainy so far that the rarity redeems him. A pox on him. He's a cat. Still. His qualities being at this poor price, I need not to ask you if gold will corrupt him to revolt. Sir, for a quart de sous, he will sell the fee simple of his salvation, the inheritance of it, and cut the entail from all remainders, and a perpetual succession for it perpetually. What's of his brother, the other Captain Jumaine? Why does he ask him of me? What's he? In a crow of the same nest, not altogether so great as the first in goodness, but greater a great deal in evil. He excels his brother for a coward, yet his brother is reputed one of the best that is. In a retreat, he outruns any lackey. Mary, in coming on, he has the cramp. If your life be saved, will you undertake to betray the Florentine? Aye, 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 aye. And the captain of his horse, Count Roussillon. I'll whisper with the general I know his pleasure. Oh, no more drumming. A plague of all drums, only to seem to deserve well. 
And to beguile the supposition of that lascivious young boy, the Count, have I run into this danger? Yet who would have suspected an ambush where I was taken? There is no remedy, sir, but you must die. The general says <laughs> you that have so traitorously discovered the secrets of your army and made such pestiferous reports of men very nobly held can serve the world for no honest use. Therefore, you must die. Come, headsman, off with his head. Oh, Lord, sir, let me live, or let me see my death. That shall you, and take your leave of all your friends. I'm blinding him. So, look about you. Know you any here? Mm -hmm. ah! Good morrow, noble captain. Mm. God bless you, Captain Parolas. God save you, noble captain. <laughs> captain, what greeting will you to my lord Lefou? I am for France. Good captain. Will you give me a copy of the sonnet you writ to Diana in behalf of the Count Rousselon? And I were not a coward, <laughs> I'd compel it of you. But there you will. Exempt Bartram and Lords. You are undone, Captain. All but your scarf. That has not a knot in it yet. Who cannot be crushed with a plot? If you could find out a country where but women were that had received so much shame, you might begin an impudent nation. Very well, sir. I am for France, too. We shall speak of you there. Exit with soldiers. Yet am I thankful? My heart were great to my heart were great to a burst at this. Captain, I'll be no more. But I will eat and drink and sleep as soft as Captain shall. Simply the thing I am shall make me live. Who knows himself a braggart? Let him fear this, for it will come to pass. But every braggart shall be found an ass. Rust sword, cool blushes, and parolis live safest in shame. Being fooled by foolery thrive. There's place and means for every man alive. All after them. Exit. Scene four, Florence, the widow's house. Enter Helena, widow, and Diana. You may well perceive I have not wronged you. One of the greatest in the Christian world shall be my surety. For those whose throne tis needful, ere I can perfect mine interest, kneel. Time was, I did him a desired office, dear almost as his life, which gratitude through flinty Tartar's bosom would peep forth and answer thanks. 
I duly am informed his grace is at Marseilles, to which place we have convenient convoy. You must know I am supposed dead. The army breaking, my husband hies him home. Where heaven aiding, and by the leave of my good lord the king, will be before our welcome. Gentle madam, you never had a servant to whose trust your business was more welcome. Nor you, mistress. Even a friend whose thoughts more truly labor to recompense your love. Doubt not but heaven hath brought me up to be your daughter's dower, as it hath fated her to be my motive and helper to a husband. Oh, but oh, strange men, that can such sweet use make of what they hate, when saucy trusting of the cousined thoughts defile the pitchy night, so lusteth play with what it loathes that which is away. But more of this hereafter. You, Diana, under my poor instructions, yet must suffer something in my behalf. Let death and honesty go with your impositions. I am yours upon your will to suffer. Yeah, I pray you. But with the word, the time will bring on summer, when briars shall leave as well as thorns, and be as swept as sharp. We must away. Our wagon is prepared, and time revives us. All's well that ends well still defines the crown. Whatever the course, the end is the renown. Exempt. Scene five, Roussillon, the Count's palace, enter Countess, Lafieu, and Clown. No, 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 your son was misled with a snipped taffeta fellow there, whose villainous saffron would have made all the unbaked and doughy youth of the nation in his color. Your daughter-in-law has been alive at this hour, and your son here at home, more advanced by the king than by that red-tailed humblebee I speak of. I would I had not known him. It was the death of the most virtuous gentlewoman that ever nature had praise for creating. If she had partaken of my flesh and cost me the dearest groans of a mother, I could not have owed her a more rooted love. T'was a good lady, t'was a good lady. We may pick a thousand salads ere we light on such another herb. <laughs> Indeed, sir, she was the sweet marjoram of the salad, or rather, the herb of grace. They are not herbs, you mean. They are nose herbs. I am no great Nebuchadnezzar, sir. I have not much skill in grass. Whither dost thou profess thyself, a knave or a fool? A fool, sir, at a woman's service, a knave at a man's. Your distinction? I would cousin the man of his wife and do his service. Though so you were a knave at his service indeed. And I would give his wife my bauble, sir, to do her service. I will subscribe for thee, thou art both knave and at your service. No, no, no. Why, sir, if I cannot serve you, I can serve as great a prince as you are. Who's that, a Frenchman? Faith, sir, I has an English name, but his misnomy is more hotter in France than here. What prince is that? The Black Prince, sir. Alias, the Prince of Darkness. Alias, the Devil. Hold thee, there's my purse. I give thee not this to suggest thee from thy master thou talk'st of, sir, can still. I am a woodland fellow, sir, that always loved a great fire. And the master I speak of ever keeps a good fire. But sure, he is the prince of the world. Let his nobility remain in's court. 
I am for the house with the narrow gate, which I take to be too little for pomp to enter. Some that humble themselves may, but the many will be too chill and that tender, and they'll be for the flowery way that leads to the broad gates and the great fire. Oh, thy ways, I begin to be weary of thee, and I tell thee so before, because I would not fall out with thee. Oh, thy ways, let my horse be well looked to without any tricks. <laughs> I put any tricks upon them, sir. They shall be jade's tricks, which are their own right by law of nature. Thank you. Shrewd knave, and an unhappy. So he is. My lord that's gone made himself much sport out of him. By his authority he remains here which he thinks is a patent for his sauciness. And indeed, he has no pace, but runs where he will. I like him well, tis not amiss. And I was about to tell you, since I heard of the good lady's death and that my lord, your son, was upon his return home, I moved the king my master to speak in behalf of my daughter, which in the minority of them both, his majesty, out of a self-gracious remembrance, did first propose. His highness hath promised me to do it and to stop a the displeasure he had conceived against his son, there is no bitter matter. How does your ladyship like it? With very much content, my lord, and I wish it happily affected. His highness comes post from Marseilles, of as able body as when he numbered thirty. Will he be here tomorrow, or I am deceived by him that in such intelligence hath seldom failed. It rejoices me, that I hope I shall see him ere I die. I have letters that my son will be here tonight. I shall beseech your lordship to remain with me till they meet again, together. Madam, I was thinking with what manners I might safely be admitted. You need but plead your honorable privilege. That I have made a bold charter, but I, I thank my God it holds yet. <laughs> Enter clown. Oh, madam, yonder's my lord, your son, with a patch of velvet on his face. Whether there be a scar under it or no, the velvet knows, but tis a goodly patch of velvet. His left, left, his left is a cheek of two pile and a half, but his right cheek is worn bare. Star nobly got, or a noble star, is a good library of honor, so belike is that. But it is your carbonadoed face. Let us go see your son, I pray you. I long to talk with the young noble soldier. Faith, there's a dozen of them with delicate fine hats and most courteous feathers, which bow the head and nod at every man. Exit. Act 5, Scene 1, Marseille, a street. Enter Helena, Widow, and Diana with two attendants. But this exceeding posting day and night must wear your spirits low. We cannot help it. But since you have made the days and nights as one to wear your gentle limbs in my affairs, be bold you do so grow in my requital, as nothing can unroot you. In happy time, this man may help me to his majesty's ear, if he would spend his power. God save you, sir. And you? Sir, I have seen you in the court of France. I have been sometimes there. I do presume, sir, that you are not fallen from the report that goes upon your goodness, and therefore, goaded with most sharp occasion, which lay nice manners by, I put you to the use of your own virtues, for the which I shall continue thankful. What, what is your will? That it will please you to give this portion, the poor petition to the king, and aid me with that store of power you have to come into his presence. 
King's not here. Not here, sir. Not indeed. He hence removed last night with more haste than is his use. Lord, how we lose our pains. All's well that ends well yet, though time seems so adverse and means unfit. I do beseech you, whither is he gone? Mary, as I take it to Roussillon, whither I am going. I do beseech you, sir, since you are like to see the king before me. Commend the papers to his gracious hand, which I presume shall render you no blame, but rather make you thank your pains for it. I will come after you with what good speed our means will make us, will make us means. This I'll do for you. And you shall find yourself to be well thanked. Whate'er befall, uh, whate'er falls more. We must to horse again. Go, go, provide. Exit. Scene two, Roussillon, before the Count's palace. Enter Clown and Parolis following. Good Monsieur Lavash, give my Lord Lafou this letter. I have ere now, sir, been better known to you uh, when I have held familiarity with fresher clothes. But I am now, sir, muddied in fortune's mood and smell somewhat strong of her strong displeasure. Uh, truly, fortune's displeasure is but sluttish, if it smells so strongly as thou speakst of. I will henceforth eat no fish of fortune's buttering. Uh, prithee, allow the wind. Nay, you need not to stop your nose, sir. I spake <laughs> but, but by a metaphor. <laughs> Indeed, sir, if your metaphors stick, I will stop my nose. Or against any man's metaphor, prithee, get thee further. Pray you, sir, deliver me this paper. Well, prithee, stand away. A paper from Fortune's clothes stool to give to a nobleman. <laughs> Look here, he comes himself. Enter Lefeu. Here's a purr of Fortune's, sir, or of Fortune's cat, but not a muscat cat that has fallen into the unclean fish pond of her displeasure and as he says it is muddied with all pray you <laughs> sir use your carp as you may for he looks like a poor decayed genius foolish rascally knave and i do pity his distress and my similes of comfort and leave him to your good lordship exit my lord I am a man whom fortune hath cruelly scratched. And what would you have me to do? Tis too late to pare her nails now. Wherein have you played the knave with fortune, that she should scratch you, who of herself is a good lady, and would not have knaves thrive long under her? There's a court to cue for you. Let the justices make you and fortune friends. I am for other business. I beseech your honor to hear me one single word. Beg a single penny more. Come, you shall have. Save your word. My name, my good lord, is Parolis. You beg more than word, then. Cox, my passion, give me your hand. How does your drum? Oh, my good lord, you were the first that found me. <laughs> was I, sir? And I was the first that lost thee. 
it, it lies in you, my Lord, to bring me in some grace, for you did bring me out. Out upon thee, knave, dost thou put upon me at once both the office of God and the devil? One brings Ooh. thee grace, and the other brings thee out. The king's coming, I know by his trumpets. Sirrah, inquire further after me. I had talk of you last night. Though you are a fool and a knave, you shall eat. Go to, follow. I praise God for you. Excellent. In three, Roussillon, the Count's palace, flourish under King, Countess, Lefeu, and two French lords with attendants. We lost a jewel of her, and our esteem was made much poorer by it. But your son, as mad in folly, lacks sense to know her estimation home. Tis past, my liege, and I beseech your majesty to make it natural rebellion, none in the blaze of youth. When oil and fire, too strong for reasons, force or bears it and burns on. My honored lady, I have forgiven and forgotten all, though my revenges were high bent upon him and watched the time to shoot. This I must say, but first I beg my pardon. The young lord did to his majesty, his mother and his lady, offense of mighty note, but to himself the greatest wrong of all. He lost a wife whose beauty did astonish the survey of richest eyes, whose words all ears to captive, whose dear perfection hearts that scorn to serve humbly called mistress. Praising what is lost makes a remembrance dear. Well, call him hither. We are reconciled, and the first view shall kill all repetition. Let him not ask our pardon. The nature of his great offense is dead, and deeper than oblivion we do bury the incensing relics of it. Let him approach a stranger, no offender, and inform him so tis our will he should. I shall, my liege, exit. What says he to your daughter? Have you spoke? All that he is hath reference to your highness. Then shall we have a match. I have letters sent me that set him high in fame. Enter Bertram. Looks well, aunt. I am not a day of season, for thou mayst see a sunshine and a hail in me at once. But to the brightest beams distracted clouds give way, so stand thou forth. The time is fair again. My high repented blame, dear sovereign, pardon to me. All is whole, not one word more of the consumed time. Let's take the instant by the forward top, for we are old. And on our quickest decrees, the inaudible and noiseless foot of time steals ere we can affect them. You remember this, uh, the daughter of this lord? Uh, admiringly, my liege. At first, I stuck my choice upon her, ere my heart durst make too bold a herald of my tongue, where the impression of mine eye in fixing contempt his scornful perspective did lend me, which warped the line of every other favor, scorned a fair color or expressed it stolen, extended or contracted all proportions to a most hideous object. Thence it came that she whom all men praise and whom myself, since I have lost, have loved, was in mine eye the dust that did offend it. Well excused, but thou didst love her strikes some scores away from the great Compte. 
But love that comes too late, like a remorseful pardon, slowly carried to the great sender, turns a sour offense, crying, that's good, that's gone. Our rash faults make trivial price of serious things. We have not knowing them until we know their grave. Oft our displeasures to ourselves unjust, destroy our friends and after weep their dust. Our own love waking cries to see what's done while shame full late sleeps out the afternoon. Be this sweet Helen's knell and now forget her. Send forth your amorous token for fair maudlin the main contents are had, and here we'll stay to see our widower's second marriage day. Which better than the first, oh, dear heaven bless, or ere they meet in me, oh, nature, sus. Come on, my son, in whom my house's name must be digest. Give a favor from you to sparkle in the spirits of my daughter, that she may quickly come. Bertram gives a ring. I'm held beard and every hair that's on't. Helen, that's dead, was a sweet creature. Such a ring as this, that last that e'er I took her at court, I saw upon her finger. Ah, uh, hers, uh, her, it was not. Now, pray you let me see it, for mine eye, while I was speaking, oft was fastened to it. This ring was mine, and when I gave it Helen, I bade her, if her fortunes ever stood necessity to help, that by this token I would relieve her. Had you that craft to reave her of what should stead her most? <laughs> My gracious sovereign, however it pleases you to take it so, the ring was never hers. Son, on my life, I have seen her wear it, and she reckoned it at her life's rate. I am sure I saw her wear it. You are deceived, my lord. She never saw it. In Florence was it from a casement thrown me, wrapped in a paper which contained the name of her that threw it. Noble she was, and thought I stood engaged. But when I had subscribed to mine own fortune and informed her fully, I could not answer in that course of honor as she had made the overture. She ceased in heavy satisfaction and would never receive the ring again. Plutus himself, that knows the tinct and multiplying medicine, hath not in nature's mystery more science than I have in this ring. Twas mine, twas Helen's, whoever gave it you. Then, if you know that you are well acquainted with yourself, confess twas hers, and by what rough enforcement you got it from her. She called the saints to surety that she would never put it from her finger unless she gave it to yourself in bed, where you have never come, or sent it us upon her great disaster. She never saw it. Thou speak'st it falsely, as I love mine honor, and makest conjectural fears to come into me, which I would fain shut out. If it should prove that thou art so inhuman, no, twill not prove so, and yet I know not, thou didst hate her deadly, and she is dead which nothing but to close her eyes myself could win me to believe more than to see this ring. Take him away. <sighs> my forepass proves, however the matter falls, shall tax my fears of little vanity, having vainly feared too little. Away with him! We'll sift this matter further. If you shall prove this ring was ever hers, you shall as easy prove that I husbanded her bed in Florence, where yet she never was. 
Exit guarded. I am wrapped in dismal thinkings. Enter a gentleman. Gracious sovereign, whether I have been blamed to or no, I know not. Here, here's a petition from, from a Florentine who hath for four or five removes come short to tender it herself. I undertook it, vanquished thereto by the fair grace and speech of the poor suppliant, who by this I know is here attending. Her business looks in her with an importing visage, and she told me, in a sweet verbal brief, it did concern your highness with herself. Upon his many protestations to marry me when his wife was dead, I blush to say it, he won me. Now is the Count Roussillon a widower, his vows are forfeited to me, and my honors paid to him. He stole from Florence, taking no leave, and I follow him to his country for justice. Grant it me, O king, in you it best lies. Otherwise, a seducer flourishes, and a poor maid is undone. Diana Capulet. I will buy me a son-in-law in a fair, and toll for this, I'll none of him. The heavens have thought well on thee, Lefeu, to bring forth this discovery. Seek out these suitors. Go speedily and bring again the count. I'm afeard the life of Helen, lady, was foully snatched. Shit, that's me. Now, justice on the doors. Let Brianna Bertram guarded. I wonder, sir, Sith wives are monsters to you, and that you fly them as you swear them, lordship, yet you desire to marry. Enter widow and Diana. What woman's that? I am, my lord, a wretched Florentine, derived from ancient Capulet. My suit, as I do understand, you know, and therefore know how far I may be pitied. I am her mother, sir, whose age and honor both suffer under this complaint we bring, and both shall cease without your remedy. Come hither, Count. Do you know these women? My lord, I neither can nor will deny but that I know them. Do they charge me further? Why do you look so strange upon your wife? Nah, she's not of mine, my lord. If you shall marry, you give away this hand, and that is mine. You give away heaven's vows, and those are mine. You give away myself, which is known mine. For I by vow am so embodied yours, that she which marries you must marry me, either both or none. Your reputation comes too short for my daughter. You are no husband for her. My lord, this is a fond and desperate creature whom sometime I have laughed with. Let your highness lay a more noble thought upon, upon mine honor than to think that I would sink it here. Sir, for my thoughts you have them ill to friend till your deeds gain them. Fairer prove your honor than in my thought it lies. Uh, good, my lord, ask him upon his oath if he does not think he had not my virginity. What sayest thou to her? She's impudent, my lord, and was a common gamester to the camp. He does me wrong, my lord. If I were so, he might have bought me at a common price. Do not believe him. Oh, behold, this ring, whose high respect and rich validity did lack a parallel, yet for all that he gave it to a commoner of the camp, if I be one. 
he blushes, and tis it. Of six preceding ancestors, that gem, conferred by testament to the sequent issue, hath it been owed and worn. This is his wife. That rings a thousand proofs. Methought you said you saw one here in court could witness it? I did, my lord, but loath am to produce such so bad an instrument. His name's Perolus. I saw the man today, if man he be. Find him. Bring him hither. He's an attendant. What of him? He is quoted for a most perfidious slave, with all the spots of the world taxed and debauched, whose nature sickens but to speak a truth. Am I, or that, or this, for what he'll utter, that will speak anything? She hath that ring of yours. I think she has. Certain it is, I liked her, and boarded her in the wanton way of youth. She knew her distance and did angle for me, matting my eagerness with her restraint, as all impediments in fancy's course are motives of more fancy. And in fine, her infinite cunning with her modern grace subdued me to her rate. She got the ring, and I had that which any inferior might at market price have bought. I must be patient. You, that have turned off a noble so first wife, may justly die at me. I pray you yet. Since you lack virtue, I will lose a husband. Send for your ring, I will return it home, and give me mine again. I, I have it not. What ring was yours, I pray you? Uh, sir, much like the same upon your finger. Know you this ring? This ring was his of late. And this was it I gave him, being a bed. The story then goes false. You threw at him out of a casement. I have spoken the truth. Enter Perolis. My lord, I do confess the ring was hers. You boggle shrewdly. Every feather starts you. Is this the man you speak of? I, my lord. <clears throat> tell me, Sarah, but tell me true, I charge you, not fearing the displeasure of your master, which on your just proceeding I'll keep off. By him and by this woman here, what know you? Uh, so please, your majesty, my master hath been an honorable gentleman. Tricks he hath had in him, which gentlemen have... Come, come to the purpose. Did he love this woman? Faith, sir, he did love her, but how? How, I pray you? He did love her, sir, as a gentleman loves a woman. How is that? He loved her, sir, and loved her not. As thou art a knave and no knave. What an equivocal companion is this? I am a, a poor man and at your majesty's command. He's a good drum, my lord, but a naughty order. Do you know he promised me marriage? Faith, I know more than I'll speak. But wilt thou not speak all thou knowest? Yes, so please your majesty... I did go between them, as I said, but more than that, he loved her, for indeed he was mad for her, and talked of Satan, and of limbo, and of furies, and, and I know not what, yet 
I was in that credit with them at that time that I knew of their going to bed and of other motions as promising her marriage and, and things which would derive me ill will to speak of. Therefore, I will not speak what I know. Thou hast spoken all already, unless thou canst say they are married. But thou art too fine in thy evidence. Therefore, stand aside. Uh, this ring, you say, was yours. I, my good lord. Where did you buy it? Or who gave it you? It was not given to me, nor I did not buy it. Who lent it you? It was not lent me, neither. Where did you find it, then? I found it not. If it were yours by none of these ways, how could you give it him? I never gave it him. This woman's an easy glove, my lord. She goes off and on at pleasure. This ring was mine. I gave it his first wife. It might be yours or hers for aught I know. Take her away. I do not like her now. To prison with her. And away with him. Unless thou tellst me where thou hadst this ring, thou diest within this hour. I'll never tell you. Take her away. I'll put in bail, my leash. I think thee now some common customer. By Jove, if ever I knew a man, twas you. Wherefore hast thou accused him all this while? Because he's guilty, and he is not guilty. He knows I am no maid, and he'll swear to it. I'll swear I am a maid, and he knows not. Great king, I am no strumpet by my life. I am either maid, or else this old man's wife. She does abuse our ears. To prison with her. Good mother, fetch my bail. Stay, royal sir. The jeweler that owes the ring is sent for, and he shall surety me. But for this lord who hath abused me, as he knows himself, but yet he never harmed me. Here, quit him. He knows himself my bed he hath defiled, and at the same time he got his wife with child. Dead though she be, she feels her young one kick. So here's my red riddle. One that's dead is quick, and now behold the meaning. Re-enter widow with Helena. Is there no exorcist beguiles the truer office of mine eyes? Is it real, I see? No, my good lord. Tis but the shadow of a wife you see, the name and not the thing. Both. Both. Oh, pardon. Oh, my good lord. When I was like this maid, I found you wondrous kind. There is your ring. And you look, look you, here's your letter. This it says, when from my finger you can get this ring and are by me with child, etc. This is done. Will you be mine now you are doubly one? If she, my liege, can make me know this clearly, I'll love her dearly ever, ever dearly. If it appear not plain and prove untrue, deadly divorce step between me and you. Oh, my dear mother, do I see you living? When I smell onions, <clears throat> I shall weep anon. Good to come. Lend me a hand, Kircher. So, I thank thee. Wait on me home. I'll make sport with thee. Let thy courtesies alone. They are scurvy ones. Let us, from point to point, this story know to make the even truth in pleasure flow. If thou beest yet a fresh, uncropped flower, choose thou thy husband, and I'll pay thy dower. For I can guess that by thy honest aid thou keepst a wife herself, thyself a maid. 
Of that and all the progress, more and less reservedly, more leisure shall express. And yet, all yet, seems well, and if it ends so meet, the bitter past, more welcome is the sweet. Flourish, epilogue. The king's a beggar now, the play is done. All is well ended, if this suit be won. That you express content, which we will pay with strife to please you day exceeding day. Ours be your patience then, and yours our parts. Your gentle hands lend us and take our hearts. The end, yay!